morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Dodgers knocked the Giants out on a check swing in the bottom of the ninth. I guess if you're going to lose, at least it's good to have something to complain about. That call. You know, they hadn't gotten the call. I don't know that they were going to score the tie or winning run and win the game, but hey, it's something to beef about. Great series, great game, and the Dodgers move on. The Dodgers and Red Sox, the wild cards, knock out 100-win teams, the teams with the best record in the league, the 100-win Rays and the 107-win Giants. So on we go in the baseball playoffs. Boston and the Houston Astros tonight, the ALCS, will get underway. All right, DJ and PK, there's plenty more going on tonight. A lot of college football. We can talk about that coming up. But right now, we are going to check in with Craig Bowler, Jack, and talk a little Utah Jazz. Here is Bowler with PK and I joining us late in yesterday's show. Let's get Bowler in for some donut talk. Bowler, how are you? Oh, donuts. Yeah. You guys, Elsie, in the Midwest, we call those caramel long johns. What? Yeah. What? What? I've never heard yeah. that. You never heard of a long john? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a, so a maple bar would be a caramel long john? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'd walk yeah. past that too then. <laughs> you can have mine, Bowler. Not my thing. Uh, let's see. I like the old fashioned. Yeah. I'll fight you over that. Yep. I'd go for that in a big time. And if it's a good um, apple fritter, it has to be kind of done right, you mm. know. Uh, I'd go for an apple fritter. Old-fashioned, long john, and uh, an apple fritter. <laughs> long john, that's classic. <laughs> All right, Buller, let's, uh, let's talk a little Utah Jazz basketball. I think there are uh, two questions in my mind, but other people probably have others. There's, there's two that jump out at me. One could not be answered because Rudy Gay can't go yet until he recovers from the heel surgery how much he'll be used, how he'll be used uh, in combination with which other players, how often will they go small, all those questions we can just push down the road. We'll get to them later when he can play. Then the other thing is, man, Butler looks good. Who does he play with? How often does he play? Does he play when Conley is out? Does anyone else get minutes when Conley is out? How do those shift around? What is the immediate future for Butler in the Jazz rotation? I don't know that we have answers, but we can at least have semi-educated guesses, even if they're wrong. What's your semi-educated guess? Well, the semi-educated guess would be that he would be in the second unit rotation at the moment. Trent Forrest, before the concussion on Monday night, uh, was battling Jared Butler for some of those minutes or those minutes as well. But with, uh, you know, Trent out under the NBA concussion protocol, I mean, the door opens for Jared Butler and he's taking advantage of and showing what really why he's an NCAA champion and let, uh, let the Baylor Bears to the title. I'm impressed. I mean, in the three games he's played, um, he's done about everything that you can imagine a rookie could do. I like the fact that last night uh, he led Utah back uh, after trailing by eight down the stretch, and uh, the Jazz were able to to rally back and grab a four-point win. And during that time, uh, Budenholzer really went with his starters most of the second half while the Jazz set uh, Mike and Donovan, Rudy and Royce and Bogdanovich. So hats off to the younger younger players uh, to, to really just refocus and bounce back and get a win last night uh, because it was their game in the second half. 
So can we say that Jared Butler has demanded and earned playing time and that he must receive it? Well, that's Quinn's Quinn's ultimate decision. But for my chair, I mean, I think what everyone has seen is that he's a talented guy. Hard to, you know what it does, PK, is he has worked hard enough to show, I think, most of us or all of us that he deserves time. So um, the way he ran, I mean, the offense last night and just was able to stay cool and calm and do his thing and help the team. Uh, you know, we interviewed him after the game last night, and, you know, he made it very clear that he, he feels like he's earned the, the, the right um, I mean, 18 points and seven assists. He fouled out, if I'm not mistaken, what was it, the last couple of minutes of the ball game. So, Macy Oteague, his, his college uh, teammate, had to kind of take over and continue the, the quest of getting the win. But, you know, he averaged 19 points, nearly 19 points in the preseason in the three games. And, I mean, you guys saw what I saw. He seems to have play at his own pace. Uh, he made a very clear last night that he understands he has to continue to get his teammates involved. And I thought he did a good job overall. Um, and he's got a nice shot. Uh, he seems to, again, play with a chip on his shoulders, he told us, uh, because of health concerns. He slipped down to 40 in the draft, and the Jazz are right there to take him. And I, uh, I've been impressed with the way he's played and, what he, and the way he's handled himself so far. All right, there's Craig Bowlerjack. If you want to hear the entire conversation, go to 1280thezone.com. When we come back, BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. An interesting game. BYU at Baylor. Both teams are 5-1. and one. BYU's former offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, is now Baylor's offensive coordinator, so it's not very hard for these defenses to figure out what they're going to face. They know. They faced it in practice. Grimes is going to know BYU's tendencies. BYU knows what Jeff Grimes is thinking, so how well can he execute when everybody is very well scouted? Uh, The other thing to know here is this Baylor defense, I know the Big 12 is known for offense, but we're six games into the season, and... Baylor's worst performance defensively was in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. In a sport where 30 points is an average day at the office, they've given up 29 once. They give up 18 points a game. That's ranked 21st in the nation. This defense is stingy. And we'll get to more on that with David Smoke coming up in the next segment, but A-Rod will have a couple things to say about it as well. Here's Aaron Roderick. So I wanted to start off with the philosophy question. I was kind of curious. Um, you know, as you go through a season, you start figuring, you know, teams start uh, scheming to try and stop what you want to do. I thought Boise State did a pretty good job on the off-tackle run that you'd had a lot of success with. They did a good job slowing that. As an offensive coordinator, what do you do to counter scheme, I guess? What do you do as teams try and, and take away things that you want to do? Um, 
Well, I, I don't really agree with your point. I didn't think they stopped that. I thought we, you know, we turned the ball over and we played poorly in the red zone, but we had a lot of success running wide zone like we usually do. Um, it was our best play Saturday and it's pretty much always our best play um, in the run game anyway. And, uh, but to, to, the, to the bigger part of your question, I think um, it's part of football is you got to have wrinkles and answers each week for things that people do. And last game wasn't really about that. And there, there wasn't, there, it wasn't about not having the answers or anything. It was about poor execution and turnovers. And um, we, you know, credit to them. They, they're playing defense, I guess. They, they, they played hard to, you know, get the ball out and stuff like that. But um, we've got plenty of answers and we have our offense has things that fit together, plays that set up other plays. There's still lots of stuff that hasn't even been seen yet that's dialed up and ready to go when the time is right. And we won't have a shortage of answers. Well, and I was probably thinking of a few specific plays as opposed to the game in general. And that, yeah. that's, that's on me. That's, that's no, me not paying. It's not. But, the, but you're to, well, one point is we got stopped on fourth and two on one of our wide run plays. Right, yeah. You know, that play, we'd been 100% all year on fourth down on that exact play. I mean, that's, that's been our go-to call. And we just didn't get it done on that play. We didn't block it well enough. The defense was exactly what we practiced and saw, thought we were going to get, and we just didn't get it done. And so it was a disappointing, uh, disappointing execution. Um, and then that play had a couple of answers built into it too as well. Uh, it had an RPO built in as well as a, the ability to check the play if it wasn't the right look. And we just – didn't make the play we've been making all year. It was, uh, you know, still eating at all of us. I also wanted to just talk, I mean, you talked about it on the coordinator's corner, but the, but having Grimes, the situation, you know, meeting with Jeff again and, you know, facing him on the other side, how much fun is that for you? I mean, this happens in college football all the time, but, you know, not necessarily always a year removed like this or less than a year. So how much fun is it to have this wrinkle and, and kind of unique aspect to this week's game? Um, it's not really fun. I mean, it's, it's fun when I get to talk to him, you know, after they win and after we win and we have a minute, Hey, good job. And, you know, we're texting or once in a while we'll call each other. That's fun. Uh, playing against each other is not fun at all. I don't, I don't really ever enjoy playing against my friends. We, we know we love, we love grimy. Um, and you know, this week he's on the other team, so we got to go do our best to try to win. So it's it's really not not a lot of fun. I, I mean, I'm gonna say hi to him before the game, and I'll give him a hug after. But uh, um, I don't enjoy I don't enjoy this at all. I don't enjoy going against my friends. It's it's this is too serious of a business for us. I mean, this is this is life and death to the coaches, you know. So the fun part is when we don't have to play each other and we get to call up and and uh, you know talk about the good times or or whatever. Coach, Kalani said last night in, in his coach's show that uh, Baylor-Romney was, was back in practice. Uh, yeah. How has he looked so far this week, and will he be available against Baylor? Um, he's, he's back at practice. Um, he hasn't taken as many reps as Conover, so right now um, it'll, I'm not sure yet if Conover will be too if, – if Baylor you – know, where, where Baylor will be in the pecking order. Uh, that, we still have another day of – practice we got we get a lot of reps on our Thursday practice it's pretty much uh, the whole the whole practice is pretty much just team reps so we'll make that determination after tomorrow but um, uh, all, all the quarterbacks are looking really good Jaron's 
Jaron's completely healthy now, ready to roll. Um, and uh, Conover's been getting a lot of good reps, and it's nice to have Baylor back out there. And I wanted to ask you, too, about uh, Puka Nakua. Feels like every single week he just continues to make improvement. What What's maybe the, 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 the potential that he has in his, this BYU program? Because he's still a young guy. Yeah. What's the potential for Puka? Yeah, he's got, he has a really high ceiling. Um, he, first of all, he just has a high, really high, uh, high talent level, you know, high, high ability. He's, he's got size, he's got speed. Uh, he breaks tackles. He's, he's a big, strong kid. Um, he's got good hands. He's a good route runner. He's just a good football player all around. And, uh, but what, what, what really I think is great about him is just the motor that he plays with. He, He's never tired. He plays hard every snap. He practices hard every day. We have to, we have to like calm him down at practice. And those type of players are rare. You know, when you have to tell a guy like, "Hey, chill out a little bit. It's practice." That's a good thing, uh, because you know most players you have to kind of get them going at practice. And he's just the opposite of that. And that's why he's good. You know, you combine that type of work ethic with, uh, you know, with with a lot of ability. Um, you know, that's a good combination. Alex and then Jay. Coach Roderick, uh, you guys are up there in the country in first half scoring and, um, and quite at the bottom of the list when it comes to second half scoring, um, you know, throughout the season to do, to what do you think you can attribute that disparity? Uh, just that we've been in, you know, uh, five of our six games were, where the the entire fourth quarter was basically grind the clock and and uh, you know eat as much clock as we can run the ball uh, you know most of those four of those five games we were we were bleeding the entire clock snapping it you know with two seconds left on purpose and trying to play team football and we don't care about how we get a win this program's about winning as a team there's going to be some games where we need to play fast and some games where we need to play slow and once you get to that second half in the fourth quarter we're huge we're big in analytics here and we follow those uh religiously and um if if the best strategy to win the game is to slow the game down and run clock and we can do that and if the best strategy is to play fast and be aggressive then we can do that as well that's one thing i like about our offense is i think we have the ability to win any type of game we need to win we've got we have uh, good skill players and we can throw the football and we can also get, we've got good physical players. We can run it. And so it just so happened that four of our five games, first five games were like that in the fourth quarter, especially, but in the second half in general, and each one had its own story. Right. But um, you know, the Arizona state game and the Utah game, both we had six, seven minute, couple of six, seven minute drives in there where we were, keeping the ball away from the other team, eating a lot of clock, wearing them down, and either getting points or ending the game on the field, uh, trying to end the game on the field in victory formation. So that's what I would attribute that to. And, you know, uh, we'll see how the next one goes. And Coach, you mentioned uh, earlier kind of playing against, playing against your friends, obviously some coaches at Baylor were at BYU um, just last year. What do you think it's going to be like kind of 
are you going to, do you think you'll see a similar offense to what you guys used to have um, ab, in terms of in Baylor now? Like, will you see from Baylor something kind of similar to what you guys run because there are some guys who, who left BYU and went there? And what do you think that's going to be like? Yeah, I've watched them play on TV and, and then just what I'm hearing from Mark, defensive coaches this week, uh, their offense is very similar to ours. There are a few differences. I think they've, there's a few past concepts that they're doing that are a little different than what we do. But overall, most of it is very, very similar. I think right down to a lot of the terminology is, is the same, which that's not uncommon in football. There's enough, enough uh, you know, coaching tree situations in the game where, you know, former coaches that work together end up coaching against each other. And you might have two offenses or two defenses that use a lot of the same terminology. And, um, but yeah, I think they're fairly similar and uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Jay, go ahead. Hey, Aaron, just on this notion of changing things, are you talking about changing plays themselves or is it mostly terminology, the signs that you use? Can, what do you mean when you say you're changing things? Um, when did I say, did, you mean like what I said on, on that coordinator's corner? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well just, uh, you know, so yeah, every, when you watch, when you, when you watch games on TV now, most, most offenses now are signaling plays into the game in some form or another. And, um, and, you know, so obviously those guys know exactly how we do it here. We know how they do it. So I'm sure they're having to adapt a little bit to what they're doing this week. And we have to adapt a little bit. Just It's just part of the covert, you know, part of the game. But um, we'd been planning for this since ever since they left. So it's you know, on the one hand, it's we're doing something a little different this week than we've done in other games. But on the other hand, we've been planning for it so long. It's not a big deal. Our players have handled it really well this week in practice. But but yes, I was referring to the operation of how we get the play call into the game uh, to our players. Thanks. Yep. Jake and then Mitch. Hey, Rod. Part the background noise, but I wanted to ask you: the last two weeks, you haven't had Mason Wick at your disposal. How important is he in your offense? I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that, was a, that was a huge loss not having him. He has been one of our best players all year. Um, he's a very unique player. I think defenses have to prepare for uh, some of the things he does are di you know, just different than what you see week in and week out. He's, he's, in a way, he's kind of a throwback guy, but at the same time, he's very skilled and does some, some really skilled things as well that, that uh, you know, just – he changes our offense when we have him and we're going to have him this week. So it's going to be nice to have him back. I just wanted to ask you about how a guy like Campbell Barrington is done. I think you guys did the high on him since he showed up to CYU, but how's he done a right tackle so far? Um, he's going to be a great player and he's, he's already playing really well, surprisingly well for how, how, you know, how new he is. And, uh, we haven't really skipped a beat since he's, since he started playing and, um, what I love about him most is his athleticism and his versatility. He can, he can, we can play him at guard or center on either side of the ball. I mean, yeah, left or right, guard or center. Or excuse me, guard or tackle. Sorry, he can play guard or tackle, left or right, and uh, he just creates a lot of versatility. So if we have an injury, you know, uh, anywhere, 
he can slide over and the, the, we can always just put the next best player in the game. We don't have to necessarily put the next best left guard or the next best right tackle or whatever. He gives us the ability to sort of shuffle the deck and make sure that our best five available players are on the field. And the, those guys are really important. And um, he's got a really, really bright future. Coach, what are traits of, of Dave Aranda defenses? I, I know you were at Utah and you faced Utah State in 2012. I, I think you're an analyst with BYU in 2017 when, when BYU faced a, a LSU that year. What are traits of an Aranda defense? Um, well, first of all, he, you know, they have a D, D coordinator. Uh, there seems, it seems to have a, he has a pretty good impact on what they're doing as well. I don't think it's just Dave Aranda, but uh, obviously Coach sure. Aranda has been a great defensive coach his whole career. And um, I've been aware of him for a long time. I, I know a lot of guys that have worked with him at various places. And um, I would say just the, the thing that stands out is just how squared away they are. They don't make mistakes. They play really, really hard. Um, there's no gimme throws. Just, you know, you, you, when you watch the film, it's just like everything. You earn every inch you get in the run game and in the passing game. And um, they're just very disciplined, very good at what they do, and they play really, really hard. It's a physical team that flies around. And uh, 11 guys every, every snap playing as hard as they can, and we're in for a big challenge. This is, this is going to be a tough, tough defense. And, and finally, for, for me, uh, you know, ball security, I'm sure it's, it's emphasized to the guys – as much as possible uh, in any practice, but has it taken on a, a greater focus this week after what took place against Boise? It's impossible to focus on it more than we already always do. And that's why we, we, we focus on it so much. That's why we didn't fumble for five games. And then, you know, we just had, had a bad game with some fumbles in it. Um, you know, we were, we were bound to fumble eventually, I suppose, but, uh I don't know how you could focus on it more than we already did before that happened. And we will continue to focus on it as always. It's, it's the number one priority we talk about every day. It's a huge part of every single practice. Every practice involves ball security um, drills. It involves, I mean, it, it, I, I, I could go on and on about how much we talk about it um, and how much we practice it. So, but rather than, you know, it's, it's, it still stings that that, was, that 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 happened on Saturday. I mean, we went five games without one. Not many teams have done that. And so we're just going to get back to work, and we trust those guys. And I, I told this I – th I think I, I can't remember if I said this to the media or not, but I told it to our team on Monday that Peeney had carried the ball uh, 445 times and had fumbled twice in 445 touches in, in three and a half seasons. And then he just happened to have two on Saturday. And so, uh, and Tyler had carried the ball 450 something, 450 something times and fumbled three times. And he, then he had one Saturday. So these are guys, these are reliable guys that had a bad day. That's how I look at it. And, and uh, we just keep working the way we always do. And we'll, we'll take care of business. There is Aaron Roderick, BYU's offensive coordinator. When we come back, David Smoke, radio host in Texas, covers Baylor, and he is next, and he has got several insightful things to say about Baylor. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
moves when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Letter promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. David, good morning. How are we doing in Utah? We are doing quite well. We are very intrigued by this game. A couple of 5-1 and one teams. Ready to face off. And a lot has been made here of uh, Jeff Grimes, former BYU offensive coordinator, going to Baylor, and now the teams know each other and recognize each other's offense on film, right down in some of the finer points. They've all had Jeff Grimes yell something across the practice field about details or in a film session, so they've all got that ringing in their ears. From the Baylor perspective, how much of a difference has he made? Well, uh, the, the numbers, the stats, the results, they say it all, um, and Eric Mateos as well, uh, bringing what he brought uh, as an offensive line coach because those two basically are like they think on the same page. And and I, I I cannot explain, and I don't know what happens this weekend or going forward because their schedule will be uh, a tough little uh, slate coming up, you know, with what they have, including with Brigham Young. But last year they could not run the ball at all. I mean, I honestly – they had, I think, after the third game this year, uh, maybe in the fourth game this year, they had as much yards rushing as they had all of last year. Now they played nine games, and and they weren't. They were two and seven. They could not run the ball. They could not make a push. They could not get a third and one. They could not get a fourth and one. And they surely weren't going to get a third down and six or seven. And they just didn't have anything, and it was just a mess. And I don't know if it was because of the lack of spring drills, because of talent, because of uh, a disconnect between Joe Wickline, the previous offensive line coach. I don't know, but, you know, they're they're 5-1. and one. They're a win away. And I know that when you start to be good as a program, uh, under the run that they had under Art Bryles, uh, the first year they became bowl eligible in 2010 was a big deal because it had been 17 years. But they've also had one and eleven and two and seven recently, and so getting bowl eligible is a big deal, and that's what they're want to win away from. And and I, I think that's the next step. Now they want to do much more than that, and the whole thing comes down to the fact that Abram Smith, they moved him from linebacker to running back. Uh, they needed that that one cut, that wide zone type mentality. They have the talent in Tristan Abner, uh, Tristan Tristan Ebner, excuse me, who could get loose at anything, but. I mean, it's been huge. A- Abram Smith's averaging over seven yards a carry. Uh, he, um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Now they they have to do it week in and week out, but it is mind-boggling. Oklahoma State kind of roughed them up a little bit two weeks ago, but they have a very very good front against the run. They they still broke a long run on fourth down with Abram Smith going, I think fifty four yards. But that combination, it's been a breath of fresh air. 
And I think everyone's thrilled with what they've seen, considering they're only six games into what they're doing, although he's been around since early January. I love the fact that through these six games, the quarterback has had zero interceptions. That just stands out big time, taking care of the ball. And I thought for you, you're seeing all the throws. How much are they trying to get it downfield? Is it a bunch of safe passes? What's the reason why he has no interceptions? Well, I I think a lot of it is, one, the protection's better, although he's been hit. And he's one of those that will stay in the pocket, Gary Bohannon, until like somebody basically knocks him down. In some cases, you almost wish that he would take off and run. And that's another big change, that they've changed it up because the running game then protects the quarterback in the passing game. He's thrown it around now, and he's, he's had maybe a tip pass or two where he might have gotten fortunate. He's thrown it deep. Last week, they had a big, quick 75-yard touchdown, but it was probably more of a 15-, 20-yard play. Taekwon Thornton get from Florida. Uh, turned it, and then boom, he's gone. But they've thrown it deep, and, and that's also a breath of fresh air because they rarely could do that last year as well. Charlie Brewer was not going to be somebody that could sling it you know, consistently across the field uh, on deep outs or he's not going to be able to hit too many post patterns. He did early in his career at Baylor, but then just started taking so many hits and, and then also the lack of running game and protection. But Gary Bohannon can make most every throw. I mean, that's, that's, that's an immediate change this year as well. And, and, and that's also helped Jeff Grimes in, in what they're doing on offense. But, yeah, it, it, I didn't even realize that. You know, I really know the Baylor will also defensively, they'll force some turnovers. They'll get some picks. There's no question. But I didn't even realize that until somebody brought that up. I'm like, what? But, you know, Gary, this is really the first time he's ever had numerous staff. So he was part of a Matt Rule team on occasion that would come in and do a short yardage. Everyone thought of him more as a wildcat guy. And, I mean, they they have at times been able to kind of, I don't want to say uh, that the word is not dummy down the offense because that's unfair to carry. That's not it at all. They've just kind of been very careful, but then they've opened it up on occasion. And, you know, we know that's that's going to change. I mean, they, that, that's an impossible stat. But, yeah, he can make all the throws. He, he's got some weapons. They now have the the emergence of the transfer from Dartmouth in Drew Estrada, the Ivy League guy who was not really a healthy early in the year. He gives them another possession receiver. They've got the deep threat in Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Sneed. Uh, it's not like they throw a lot of deep passes, but last week they started to open it up. and They've opened it up a little bit before, but that's a crazy stat and, a, and an incredible stat for a guy that really hasn't played much football entering this season. So just looking at the stats, I mean, they've got five guys in the receiving core who, including their tight end, uh, excuse, excluding their tight end, he's the one guy of the top six receivers who doesn't have a 40-yard play. And you say they don't throw it deep much. So is it a bigger deal for them going over the top, or is it a bigger deal for them to hit on short and medium passes and then the other team doesn't tackle well, takes a poor angle, whatever, and they break a big play off that? They've done that. R.J. Sneed, uh, in a game earlier this year, caught like a quick little out, got a block, broke a tackle, and went, I want to think, 70-plus yards, whatever it might have been. I can't remember the exact distance. Uh, And what I loved about it is you saw guys running downfield with him, making blocks. Any long play, running play, or passing play, there's going to be a wide receiver, most likely, unless it's just one of those fourth-and-one short-yarded situations where you break the line of scrimmage and you're gone. Uh, The the play last week to Tyquan Thornton, uh, was a again like a 15 or 20 yard throw. He turns, gets away, gone. They've hit the deep post to Tyquan Thornton as well. 
Uh, ben Sims, the tight end, has caught a few passes in that 30-plus range. In fact, had one, I think, last week in, in, in the win that they had against West Virginia. They can air it out. He can throw the deep post. He can throw the deep fade. But it's not like when, when they had that, that constant just scare the hell out of your defense and secondary by throwing it over the top under the, the years of Art Bryles. This has been more of a pro-style offense, just like Brigham Young. And they have receivers who have become dynamic after the catch. And last year, other than R.J. Snead, Tyquan Thornton was pretty much not even existent. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact they just couldn't get him the ball. And and so now they've got guys. And, and, and yet, you know, that's kind of like turnovers on the defensive side. It's kind of contagious. It's it's become contagious. Now everybody wants to be that guy that goes 50-60. Of course, everybody does. But it's if you get one of those, two of those early in the year where you actually catch what is a 60-70 yard touchdown, but it's a 50-yard run after the catch, that becomes contagious. And I think that's happened as well. They'll throw it over the top, but they just don't live and die with that. When I look at an offensive coordinator who's an old offensive lineman, it doesn't really surprise me that they're able to run the ball because that's what those guys want to do. And I look at both of these guys, the top two running backs, they're having all sorts of success there. Uh, How much do you think that it's just the philosophy versus what they had last year that is leading them to have success at running the game, running the ball? They had uh, they they they've had two transfers. Grant Miller, young man, came in, uh, you know, a, a transfer from Vanderbilt, and then they uh, Jacob Gall came in from Buffalo. And everyone knows Buffalo last year had one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Their coach now at Kansas, and he brought a couple of linemen with him to KU. Uh, I, I think the combination of an offensive coordinator who's an offensive line coach and his running buddy Eric Mateos at the same time, uh, and they went to the wide zone. Uh, and, and it's given, and they found the people who can run it. They, that they've taken what they have as offensive linemen. Now they had to change a lot, and including what people had to do. They got a left tackle and Connor Galvin is really, really good, and they have a couple of transfers who are you know grown men uh, that have come in and given them a little oomph as well. And, and then other guys just got better. I remember having a conversation. It might have been either during or after spring drills with Eric Mateos. I said. Tell me, you know, some coaches, it's weird. They come in, and they don't even watch film for the previous year. They don't want to see bad habits. They don't want to have any kind of pre-misconceptions or whatever. He told me he did not think last year or the line that they had after spring drills was a talent issue. He thought it was just a commitment issue. Like, some of these guys had their clocks ticking. The left guard in Xavier Newman has been hanging around. He had to play early as a freshman when they had that 1-11 team. I mean, he's like an 18-, 19-year-old kid playing college football on the offensive line, which is basically unheard of. And he thought it was more of a commitment issue. In other words, they had to get tougher. They also and they, they changed strength and conditioning, Coach. That makes a difference as well. There's just something about that. You know, some guys can get to players and some can't. And, and then also on top of that, those, some of these offensive linemen were just kind of there. And I think Mateos was able to kind of get inside their head, some of it psychological, some of it with – you learn how to coach individuals differently, and they've just kind of become pretty good. Uh, and and now the wide zone that that changes up uh, people running. It's not like that's new, but it's different. And 
it's it's is allowed what they have with who they have, which maybe they weren't able to just overpower people with what they had. Now they can get the defense kind of sliding, have the cut back, the one cut with Ebner or uh, with uh, uh, Abram Smith, and it's working. I, I I think Jeff Grimes's mentality. What is it? Um, uh, he wants it to be violent. He wants the offense. Use that word as a term. I can't remember what it was, but it's violent. And when I heard him say that, now sometimes coaches say that. That doesn't mean you can do that. But that's what we never, whoever covered Baylor or covered Baylor as an opponent, whatever, there was no violence. The defense played that way, but the offense just had nothing. It was almost like a pillow fight. And that's not to be negative and try to be critical of young men, but it was almost the way they played on the offensive line. They were manhandled, and it was kind of like they just had nothing. No hope at all. Grimes came in and said, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to change it. And along with Mateos, that's what they've done. Yeah, we've heard that about teams that throw the ball a lot. That when you're pass blocking, you're not that aggressive. You're not that violent. He likes the uh, phrase, R, the letters RVO, reliably yeah. violent offense. Yeah, reliant, Yeah, right, exactly right. He said that very early. We had him on right after he was hired. And when I heard that, I was like, I just like the sound of that. Now, hey, listen, we, we weren't sure – we watched spring drills, and there were still some hits and misses, and, and there's going to be times they run into a brick wall. Well, now they have a quarterback who can air it out a little bit more. And, and, and you got, again, they've made some changes. Two new transfers, grown men come in to help you with your depth and even starters on the offensive line. You take a linebacker who was an all-state running back at West Texas at, at Abilene High School. You move him from what was running back to linebacker, and then somebody says, we need somebody that can run this type of offense at the back position other than Tristan Ebner. They lost John Levitt to Penn State, who would have been perfect for this. And they, you know, that's a coaching decision. That's noticing what you might have. And also someone went to Dave Aranda and said, you know Abram Smith played running back in high school, had like 5,000 yards. For them to make that decision, he's having a very good start to this season, was also a great coaching decision as well. David Smoke joining us, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. This Baylor defense in a sport where 30 points is an average number for an offense to score, they've given up 29. That's a season high in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. They've given up a little less than 18 points a game, which is 21st in the country. What is going to be the biggest problem here for the BYU offense to solve with the Baylor defense? They're really, really fast. Uh, and, and again, sometimes size beats speed. Sometimes speed overwhelms size. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I uh, they they pick off passes. They they bring people from different angles. Uh, they have that kind of hybrid. I they I, they call it like the jack position. Heck, it might be called the star. It's a star position. You know, everybody has their own little terminology for kind of that hybrid linebacker safety position. Uh, they're they're really very disruptive. They have a defensive a nose tackle uh, in, in Siaka Ika. He came in. He's a transfer from LSU, 350-whatever-you-want-to-call-him-pound guy that started the last two games to make some plays. Made a huge play against Iowa State, a deflection for an interception, but he had a couple of sacks last week in their win against West Virginia and got really disruptive. He kind of is the motor. Now, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, 2-8, uh, and eight, they're the ones that really are, are the big play guys that, that really are the ones you have to worry about because they're both coming from different angles. But the big nose tackle inside, you guys know that. If you have somebody that can kind of help control or take up some people inside, that lets everybody else, especially if you have speed run. They have a ball hawk secondary. 
That doesn't mean they haven't been beaten. Uh, they did get pushed around by Oklahoma State, who ran the ball right at them and hurt them quite a bit. In fact, beat them up in the first half. But I think that kind of challenged, in a lot of ways, kind of their manhood. And I think that they, they had to watch that the, the next day, and I think that kind of helped them get uh, kind of fired up for what they had to do against West Virginia, who has struggled running the ball, and they struggled against Baylor as well. Brigham Young established the line of scrimmage. We know that's what the, it's just like it's not a mirror image of what both teams are doing, but it's very similar to me. Whoever can run the ball most effectively, uh, obviously, there's always the intangibles. But against the Baylor defense, they did. Iowa State ran the ball well. Brees Hall, who's an All-American type guy, ran the ball pretty well. Oklahoma State ran the ball pretty well. So if Brigham Young can get that, and they've got the running back that we know is so solid, just kind of a grinder. Uh, so to me, that's what Brigham Young's going to have to be able to do because if you do that, then then maybe then Hall can can make the throws he needs to make uh, wherever he or whoever is playing the quarterback position this week can make the plays that they need to make to what are uh, and Dave Aranda mentioned this uh, a deep set of wide receivers. So it's going to be fun. I, I think it's a I think this is going to be a knockdown drag out football game that might actually have some points in it. But I, I think that's Brigham Young's got to be able to establish a running game. And last week, West Virginia couldn't do that. So what's going to be a bigger attraction Saturday afternoon in Waco, BYU, Baylor, or Magnolia Way? <laughs> oh, my God. I'll tell you this. In, in 2010, when I arrived in Waco, and I've been through Waco, I've done games here before, uh, you know, it really was a city that struggled. And there's been things that have happened here that have not been great. Um and then RG3 comes along. And Brittany Grider in that 40 you know, women's basketball team, and she's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And it, it kind of brought some energy to this city. But uh, honestly, wherever I would travel, like every year I'm fortunate to go do the show for a week, wherever the Super Bowl's played. And, and I remember the first time I was on the road, the first Super Bowl I covered when I got here in 2010, you know, there was a few people that brought up a couple of the tragedies in Waco. The next year I traveled, they said, hey, tell us about RG3 and Brittany Grider. Now wherever I go, tell us about Chip and Joanna and, and the silos in Magnolia. And, I mean, it, is, it, has, re, it has energized. The, 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 the sports athletic teams at Baylor in the early parts of the 2010 uh, decade energized the city, brought some people from Waco that maybe were always kind of felt separated from Baylor. They always called it. Back in the day, the Baylor, Baylor bubble, it brought the community. Get, people love to see people win. People love dynamic players. Well, there's not much more dynamic than Robert Griffin III, uh, who's broadcasting the game this weekend, and Brittany Griner, who's in the WNBA Finals. But business-wise, the facelift of Waco, Texas, McLean Stadium, for example, which is you know was built and started in 2014, and, and what they've done downtown Waco, and they got a lot of work to do. And the construction up and down 35, which runs right through the spine of the city, is just a mess. But that business, what they've done, has completely changed the face of downtown Waco. And now that is as big an attraction as anything that has. And there's others, but that one right there, no question. It's made a big difference in Waco's economy. I don't think... I can help the economy in this area. Maybe I'll be there for some games one day. I might be able to help that way. Magnolia Lane isn't going to do it for me. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard place to get into, and if you walk it, you walk up to it, and there's these two big like metal 
silos that just stick right out of the ground. And they've turned that thing into a business that's like so mo- – and, of course, the TV shows and stuff like that. It's incredible. If they put their name on a toilet, they'll sell it. it, it it's uh, – I mean, it's, it's, it's insane and in, in a good way. And uh, people have flocked from all over the place. It's amazing. And because of that, then, of course, you have to build more hotels. And there's 55 more hotels, it seems like, that were here than 10 years ago. It's, it's fun. I'll tell you what, Waco's had a lot of bad things. Waco takes a lot of shots. It's not what anyone – someone hasn't been here in five or six years. They would be blown away by what they see now, other than, again, the, the constant construction on I-35, which is a disaster. <laughs> All right, David, we'll leave it there. We appreciate you joining the show once again and looking forward to the Big 12 and talking to you again down the road. Let me tell you something, guys, and I mean this sincerely. Our talk show back at the end of July when all that went down with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, our talk show on YouTube exploded, and a lot of it had to do with the Big 12 trying to survive. And I'm telling you right now, it is so many people are thrilled with Brigham Young being a part of the Big 12, basically almost like now, like Cincinnati now. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's something yeah. that I think this weekend is almost a celebration in a way. First time they played since 84, and also the factor on the schedule the same year that the all heck broke loose. I, uh, I think it's great. I, I talked to Grant Tapp, the former Baylor coach, about the last time they played in 83 and 84. Uh, this is, this is going to be a, a celebration. I don't know who wins going to be a hell of a game, but I do know this. I think everyone really, really looks forward to the best non-conference game they've had at McLean Stadium or in Waco in a long, long time, and the fact that Brigham Young's going to be a part of the conference. People are thrilled with it. David, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again down the thank road. You. Enjoy the game. You too. David Smoke, radio host from Texas, Sikkim 365, joining us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. Here is the snap. Brady, play action fake, dropping, dropping, flushed out of the box. Looks toward the throws the ball. Caught ball at the five. Antonio Brown, touchdown Tampa Bay. He made the catch, did a pirouette at the five, and dove into the end zone. And the Bucs take the lead at 13-7. to seven. Wide to the left is Evans. One back set. Here's the snap. Follows the block. Touchdown. Easy pickets for Leonard Fournette. His second touchdown of the game. Fournette is the running back. And his quarterback keeper by Tom Brady. Six, six foot four inch Tom Brady. And he gets the first down. Highlights from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win over the Philadelphia Eagles 28-22. Bucks were up 28-7. Eagles got back in it, but when Tampa Bay had to move the ball, get first downs and kill the clock, they did it. Tampa Bay improves to 5-1, one of the NFL's elite teams. Tom Brady closing in on 600 touchdowns. That seems inevitable. He only needs two more. The Bucks, they're a machine, PK. They keep rolling. Are you talking about 600 passing touchdowns? 600 passing touchdowns. Oh, okay. Big games this weekend. You like the 4-1 Ravens or the 4-1 Chargers? They're playing in Baltimore, 11 a.m. Early game on the CBS uh, doubleheader. Actually, tripleheader because there's a game from London this week. Yeah, it should be a good game. I expect it to be... 
High scoring, maybe both teams in the 30s. Teams, the way they've been playing, that that would be a good pick to make right there. The the Ravens have uh, not only the traditional passing game, but they're throwing the ball out of their uh, their RPOs, their run pass options, these short little flicks. It seems unstoppable. It seems like Lamar Jackson. I know the Raiders got him in a bizarro game, and it took some turnovers. The season opener on the road and new stadium and the crowd all going nuts, and they lost in overtime. And since then, Ravens haven't been beaten. I find it hard to pick against them. Okay, don't pick against them. The NFC East is your division. The Cowboys only have one loss. They got the Patriots coming in. You like your Cowboys? Sure. Yeah, How about your undefeated well. Cardinals? You got multiple teams. I'm assigning you everybody. Your undefeated Cardinals to stay perfect, or the Browns are going to be the team that brings them down? I would think the Browns get them this week, yeah. Somebody's got to at some point. Sunday night football game. Two teams that have been good for a long time, but are off to shaky starts now. Seahawks and Steelers. You like somebody to get healthy in this one? Well, obviously, Russell Wilson's out, so I would probably go with Pittsburgh. But on further review, I'll probably go with baseball. <laughs> nice. And the Packers and the Bears, ancient rivals. The Packers haven't lost since week one either, like the Ravens lost the open, although their loss was decisive week one, and the Ravens just barely got beat. But they lost week one, and they've been money ever since. I'll go with the Pack. DJ and PK, there's a little NFL for you. How about some college football? Hashtag BYU. As a leadership group, we, we just need to make the vibe seem like it's not a season anything, like the season's not over. You know, we still have seven games to play. And so, I mean, if we get on them and say, okay, it's in the past, let's learn from it, let's look forward, then we'll be all right. That is Gunnar Romney on BYU's mindset as they go to Baylor to play the 5-1 Bears. Baylor, a six-point favorite. Do you think BYU is going to be able to crack that Baylor defense, which has looked really good? Do I? Yes, I think they'll have some success scoring the ball. To what degree remains to be seen, but I think they should put up at least 24. That'd be a good number. This is a defense. 29 is the most points they've given up all year. Cougar pregame show starts at 1230. JCW's in Provo. Game kicks off at 130 tomorrow on ESPN. We will have more on BYU coming up later this morning. Right now, more college football. Hashtag, U- Hashtag Utah State. Uh, the games are spread out nicely if you want to follow the locals. BYU plays at 1.30. That should wrap up about 5 o'clock. And that's when Utah State kicks off at UNLV, 5 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. The Rebels are 0-5. They have played a, some close football games in there, but come on, 0-5. This has got bounce back for Utah State written all over it. Coming off a couple of losses and then a bye week. Feels like 4-2 for the Aggies in midseason. I think it's important for them, obviously, to get this game because then it sets themselves up to where they can have a string of victories here. The rest of the teams uh, on their schedule, none of them look overwhelming. Uh, CSU next week's been up and down. A nice win over San Jose, and but obviously that's beatable. It's at home. Uh, and then you got 
a bunch of average teams at best. Santa, uh, Hawaii, New Mexico State, uh, Wyoming, New Mexico. So, I mean, I could argue that they could win out, which would be phenomenal in Blake Anderson's first season. I don't know that they will win out. I'd probably bet against it because things happen on given Saturdays, right? But the opportunity is there, and I think that you get this, then you have a real good shot of reeling off a bunch of victories, where if you don't get this, then you could pretty much put, maybe except for New Mexico and New Mexico State, every game in doubt. So the thing about it, and, and you're right about putting together long winning streaks in college football, and you are talking about winning seven in a row, which I would consider a long winning streak. And so weird things happen, injuries happen, but they've got at least some depth at the most important position. They've had two quarterbacks play well this year. That's a position that will often hurt a team. The road games don't look that tough, so the games you talk about that – well, this could be difficult. It is at home. CSU's at home. Wyoming's at home. I haven't watched enough of those teams to know how good they are. They, maybe the, I guess the game at San Jose is the toughest game because New Mexico and New Mexico State on the road. I would think the Aggies win that, just like I think they're going to win in UNLV. So, yeah. you're right. This is the game. Get this one, and it could launch you on a winning streak here. Certainly, you should win the vast majority of these games, and you might win them all. Right. All right. Let's get to the Utes. Hashtag Utah. You know, I think there's a somewhat of a rivalry, rivalry feel, uh, and we have it with SC as well. But I think really when you've had some close games in the series and, and a little bit of back and forth, that lends itself towards that feeling. Yeah, I don't think either one of us would go as far as rivalry, but there is a little extra juice with this one. It's not just another regular season game. And I think the, the South games over the North have that just because you get to play them every year. In the North, you rotate out and... So, certainly the stakes for this one, whether there's any history or not, the stakes for this one make it pretty interesting. 8 o'clock, Saturday night up on the hill. Well, yeah, it's for first place. I mean, they'll have other potential games for first place. Uh, with uh, They got the Bruins in a couple of weeks. Maybe that could be for first place. But we know this is right now for first place. So, that's all you need to say. doesn't matter that it's ASU. It could be whomever in the South. It happens to be the Sun Devils this year, and it's for first place. Devils coming in 5-1. and one. The loss was to BYU. Who gets first place? 8 o'clock kickoff on ESPN. The U pregame show will start at 7 o'clock. You'll hear that on 97.5 FM tomorrow evening. The Aggie game will be on 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. College football tonight, we got Pac-12 and Mountain West football. Ninth-ranked Oregon off to a 1-1 start in conference play. Host Cal, that game's on ESPN tonight. Uh, you think Oregon's going to have any problems with Cal? On the surface, it seems like they shouldn't. Cal's 1-4. and four. Well, C.J. Verdell's out for the season. He's their leading rusher. And he's got their leading scorer, leading rusher, and he's gone. So I don't know what surface you're looking at, but... Yeah, uh, let's see what they can do without arguably their best offensive player. Probably not arguably because I don't think your quarterback is all that good. So, yeah, I think it uh, has the potential to be uh, a difficult game. 24th-ranked San Diego State plays San Jose State. Mountain West game, CBS Sports Network. That one's at 830. San Jose 
the defending champ in the Mountain West, but uh, off to a rocky start here this year. And ESPNU has Weber State at Montana State tonight in the Big Sky. Good for Weber to get the opportunity to play on television like that. That's pretty cool for them. Big games tomorrow. Kentucky is off to a great start, but 11th-ranked Kentucky is going to throw themselves up against number one-ranked Georgia, a machine that's been grinding up everybody and spitting them out. See if Kentucky can keep the magic going against Georgia. That's 1.30 tomorrow on CBS. Oklahoma switching quarterbacks. You like the fourth-ranked Sooners against TCU. That's ABC at 5.30. Sooners trying to avoid the letdown after the uh, big comeback win over Texas. You're speculating. Lincoln Riley has not announced that. Like, he shut down all then media don't access. Don't you dare get binoculars. When <laughs> students went up in a building and spied on it, and he shut down access the rest of the way. So, unless you have some inside information, you don't know who's going to be the quarterback. 25th-ranked Texas will try to bounce back from the loss to Oklahoma. They're playing 12th-ranked Oklahoma State, 10 a.m. on Fox. So you BYU fans trying to get ready for the Big 12. You got a good Big 12 game at 10 a.m. You got the BYU-Baylor game at 1.30, and TC-Oklahoma in primetime at 5.30. Big 12 football everywhere. Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Pelican star Zion Williamson will miss the start of the regular season. A right foot injury that required off-season surgery. David Griffin, vice president of basketball operations, says there's no fixed timeline on Zion's return to play status. Doctors are encouraged by the way things are going, but we don't have any dates yet. No Zion, you're going to have less Pelicans on your TV, I assume, slash hope. They say our love won't pay the rent. Before it's earned, our money's always spent. And you may ask, why am I singing that? Because if you watch the movie Groundhog Day, that's what's playing every time Bill Murray wakes up. And when you mention the Pelicans, you always mention Zion Williamson is not playing today because of injuries. This is a never-ending story. It's the same thing over and over again. All right, cue that song up. Get ready to sing again, PK. Here we go. Kevin Durant says he wishes none of this stuff would happen. That's the quote. None of this stuff would happen. But he's not upset that Kyrie Irving is not with the Nets currently. Definitely, I want Kyrie to be around. I want our whole team together. And it wants to be at full strength. But sometimes, it don't work out that way. But I'm still positive things will work out the best for both parties. Closed quote. Okay. Reasonable. Cue the music. Yeah. <clears throat> I think they're still very good without Kyrie Irving. But, obviously, you'd rather have your whole team. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Here comes the 1-2 from Duvall. Lines one in the right center field for a base hit. Turner will score. Lux is on his way to third. Bellinger, with the biggest hit of his career, has just given the Dodgers a 2-1 lead. 0-2. Scherzer to Flores. Just outside. He went around. Strike three. Gabe Morales, the first base umpire. The Dodgers are going to the National League Championship Series. And the two-strike pitch. Here it is. And that's low. And a, a check swing. It is ruled a swing. By Gabe Morales, the first base umpire. And the Dodgers have won the game. 
The Dodgers knock out the Giants in the best record in baseball. The Czechs swing. Giants fans will be talking about forever. And the Dodgers say whatever and head off to play Atlanta in the National League Championship Series. It's over, PK, on a Czech swing. Good series. That's true. Yeah. Old Gabe Morales, who was born in Santa Clara, right down the road. And he rang him up. That was a bad call, obviously. Yep, bad call. Don't know that it would have been any different, but would have liked to see one more pitch. That was the tense game you were talking about. Every little thing matters, and that was scoreless into the sixth, and they traded runs in the sixth, so the tension was thick. Yeah, they played each other. They were separated by one game after 162. They were separated by one run after five. They played each other 24 times this season, counting the postseason, and the records were 12 and 12, which means they each won 12 games. I don't know that you could get any closer. Unfortunately, that wasn't the National League Championship Series. They had to meet in the Division Series. No reseeding and all of that stuff. Both the wild cards, both knock out 100 or 100-plus win teams. The Red Sox took down the Rays in the American League, who won 100 games. Red Sox playing tonight against the Houston Astros. 6 o'clock on Big Fox, Houston, Texas, Minute Maid Park. Astros seem to be the odds-on favorite, but do the Red Sox have the mojo? It's baseball, McCullers, man. Who has the, I know. Who has and the pitching? You, and you're all about the pitching, and McCullers can't go in game one. They set the playoff roster. I don't know if they decided anything overnight. I hadn't seen anything last night. They have to decide by 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. our time, whether he's going on the postseason roster. He had forearm tightness last time out. Well, yeah, I don't think he would pitch. Last time out was last game, so I don't think he would be pitching tonight. Uh, so um, I don't know about later on in the series. Despite winning 17 games in a row, the Cardinals have decided to change managers. Mike Schilt fired. Philosophical differences cited. Thanks for getting us to the wild card game. But you He led him actually to the postseason three times. Seems harsh. It does. But big money, win now. They're moving on. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Two weeks off for an international break. RSL back at it. Six games left in the season. They're playing the Rapids. Third and final meeting. They've split the first two. Both teams won at home. 7.30 Rio Tinto Stadium Saturday night. And RSL in a really tight race to get into the playoffs. They got a little breathing room. But not much going into this. They got three home and three road to finish the season. The stretch run is on now. All right. DJ PK, that is what is trending. The headlines are brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801 295 1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up. The question of the day, hot takes or toast, big games this weekend. Your pick's on the way. Stay with us. DJ and PK, we...
broadcasting live this morning. We are at Marley's. We have been here before. We will be here again. Hopefully you have been here in the mornings. They've got bottomless French toast. They got bottomless pancakes. They normally open at 8 o'clock in the morning. But for us, they open a little earlier here, here at 7 a.m. The doors are open. You can stop by, grab breakfast, lunch and dinner. They'll have their fantastic sliders. Personally, I'm partial to the fajita. I like the tri-tip. But... Try the Lex, the classic. They've got a wide range of sliders here, plus shoestring fries, gourmet salads. It's right off the freeway. Go west off the 1600 North exit, and it's right there inside Tippinogus Harley-Davidson on the west end of the building. They've got a drive-up window. You can call in your order, pick it up at drive-thru, and be right back in your way, in, on your way in a heartbeat. Marley's Gourmet Slider. Stop by and visit us. You're looking for a jazz t-shirt this morning? You like the yellow? You like the navy blue? You like the orange? It's all here. And their hats. You can rip them off my head. DJ and PK. Stop by Marley's right here. I-15 Inland and 1600 North Exit. Timpanogos Harley-Davidson will be here till 10 a.m. on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahhairmd.com. Question of the morning, who's winning this weekend? Who you got? Scott says, the Dodgers, baby. The Dodgers. The Dodgers. I know. Everett, it's easy to anticipate college football answers, but there are people tied into other teams. The Dodgers. Dodgers over the Braves. I think most people would take that. But Scotty adds the Dodgers, baby. I'm thinking he's a Dodger fan. The college football fans are lining up. So are the comedians. Kevin sends us Charlie Sheen winning. What's he winning at? Kevin. Uh, the game of life, I guess. He is? On a lot of That's money what you call winning? TV Charlie shows. Sheen, all the problems he's had? Yeah, I know, right? Sitting on all those money from TV shows, I guess. I don't know what else they'd be referring to. Well, uh, yeah, I think that uh, big deal. He was born into money. It's amazing how he went into acting when his father <laughs> was a prominent actor. I just didn't see that coming. That was out of left field. Deep left Man. field. All the work and struggle he had to do, man, that's incredible that he was able to survive all those hard times. Martin had a little bit of success. Daniel gets right to the question. ASU, Utah State, and BYU. Two out of three locals. ASU, Utah State, BYU. Okay. So, all right, I got it. Two out of the local. Yeah. Well, that would be interesting if – 
you know, BYU is the least favorite of the three yep. by those odds. Utah State's a seven-point favorite. The ASU game, ASU started as a one-point favorite. Last I saw it was even. Complete toss-up. And BYU's a six-point underdog. Yeah. Steven says Utes, Aggies, and Baylor. <laughs> he just goes right back the other way. This is a Ute fan just going at a Cougar fan. That's what it comes down to. This is really why we wanted these teams out of the Mountain West, right? Big games. Don't know what's going to happen. We knew in the Mountain West they were going to win most of the time unless they were playing each other or TCU. And now Utah State is in the Mountain West, and we think they're going to win. I'm a little surprised the point spread's only seven, to be honest. I know UNLV has played some close games, so maybe that factors into it. But Yeah, I think this is a reflection of how intense this freaking rivalry is between BYU and Utah. you got two people. Uh, they're looking at U- Vegas and Utah State, trying to look at that objectively. And certainly we all think that Utah State is going to win that game. And then... We don't look at the other one objectively. We want the other one to lose. Yeah, that's <laughs> the way that is. <laughs> we did. We really didn't have to get up and look at the responses this morning to know how people were going to answer this, did we? Yeah, because you want them to lose. That's where where you're at here in this rivalry for sure. And you figure Utah State should beat Vegas, which they should. And then there you go. The logical conclusion is we win and you lose. You lose. That's just <laughs> the only thing the Utes and Cougars agree on. We win, you lose. <laughs> exactly. Do you have a better feeling for one game or the other? It's tough, man. It's, it's tough to say. Uh, obviously, I've got all <laughs> I got sorts B- of... <laughs> we got a BYU fan here in Marley's who just pulls his shirt open, points the Y logo on his chest. Yeah, i got a better feeling about this game. <laughs> I don't know that I do, though. I, I, I can't specifically say that. I just, there's just no way I could say that for sure with conclusive evidence. Baylor's good, plus the truth is that I don't know Baylor to the level that I know Utah, ASU, BYU themselves, that will come in time. We will get there. We will get there soon in the next couple years. I mean, we're all uh, in the next summer, and then certainly the summer after that, begin to do strong research on Big 12. And I'm I'm preparing for it. There's no question. Obviously, I'll be watching BYU-Utah. I mean, excuse me, BYU, uh, well, BYU and Utah too, but I meant BYU-Baylor. Uh, but I'm also trying to watch as much Big 12 as scheduling allows it right now uh, to be able to get a, a head start on on things because you know we just we see their games we see their highlights to a degree starting now so in two years I'll have that much more knowledge and we can talk about them at a much more, a much higher level than we can right now. So they come in 5-1, and one, but I really think even if we were following them intently, even if we were, you know, if BYU had gone in the league a couple of years ago, 
And so we'd had the ramp up and a couple of years of watching their games. I still think it would be hard to know what happens in this game because Aranda's in his second year. Everything changes. The COVID year, they had a terrible year. Everything went sideways. They changed the offensive staff this year in bringing Grimes, which does give us a certain amount of familiarity just because you know, we saw him at BYU all this time. But their schedule, they open up with three games they're supposed to win, and they do. <clears throat> and now it's gotten interesting with, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia, and they've gone 2-1. and one. And the defense yeah. seems to tighten up the act a little bit. So you're really going off three games here. Uh, I, t- I wouldn't think have that a lot co- of info. We, in, in, I think I would, though, because it's like Arizona, historically, and a Rich Rod certainly did not play a tough schedule. But I felt I really knew their program. I knew their players. And so even though it wasn't about the scheduling, it was about who I saw last year, who came back, what changes they made. And it does get a little more difficult now these days, no matter who it is, because of the fact of you have grad transfers. And if you bring in 10 guys, seven or eight of them can make significant differences. So I would disagree on that, on scheduling. It wouldn't matter to me as much if I had been following them the way I follow our locals and Pac-12 because there's plenty of teams you that don't play tough schedules. I mean, you can make that case with the Sun Devils. I mean, they were supposed to go at worst 2-1 and one in the non-conference, and that's exactly what they did. So what does that mean? Uh, because once you get into conference games, the scheduling is out the window. So I, I can't go on that because if I have to do that with them, then I have to do that with everybody. I can't just pick out them. Baylor's coming off a good win over West Virginia, but West Virginia looks bad. They won their money game, and they beat Virginia Tech, and since they beat Virginia Tech, they've gone 0-3 in the Big 12. Everybody's beating them. So they don't know how much to hang on that with that win for Baylor last weekend. Uh, they, took it to, they took it to West Virginia, 45-20. Yeah, that's my point. Then I would know more about West Virginia, West too. West Virginia. Yeah. It, it, we're just, I'm not dealing from a position of as much strength compared to I am with the Pac-12, where I can not only give you everything about their team, I can give you about every team that they played in the conference. Because I have minimum, I spoke face-to-face to two of their players and their coach during media day. So for all that Pac-12 knowledge, you got any feel for the Arizona State-Utah game? I have tons of feel. I don't know what's going to happen in the final analysis, but yes, I've got tons of feel on these two teams. Sure, there's no question about it. In a lot of ways, they're mirror images of each other. Certainly philosophically, they are. Herm's a little older than Kyle, but Kyle is a reflection of his father, who would be older than Herm, and and which that means. And they're, they're both NFL guys. Fred Whittingham and Herm Edwards played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, and they coach each other, they coach their teams in a similar manner. Now, Kyle's calling the shots, not Fred, but Fred has had the most dominant influence on his son, and his son will tell you that. I can tell you that when Brian Thompson transferred, he's a receiver at Utah, and he transfers to ASU, I had a coach tell me, why did he do that? He's going to the same program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're running the ball too much here. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. 
So, and that was a coach. I can't obviously don't want to give up his name, but he told me that very thing, and I because I thought it too. Though, why would you go there? I mean, if you want to leave Utah, that's fine. It happens, and people want to leave other places and come to Utah. So you really can't get caught up. As Kyle said, I think this year the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal taketh. And he was right, right? So uh, if you replace the players who leave with players who are as good or even better, that's obviously better. But, you know, you can't get caught up in that. And when Thompson left to go to Arizona State, I scratched my head thinking, why? That's the same program. And sure enough, a coach literally said exactly the very words that I thought to myself. And why? somebody who That's would the know. Same program. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it was funny. I mean, it, actually, an, it wasn't funny because we all knew it, right? There's an echo in my head. Yeah. So the point being, yeah, I know tons about these, pro, these programs, you know, but because they're so evenly matched, it's almost impossible. I could be the homer either way and go Utah or go to my roots and go the Devils. Uh, but it's a pick em. I thought it would be a pick em for very good reason, and I think it is. And so it'll be the little things, you know, who hits a big play, uh, who, who contains the quarterback in a scramble situation because both of them are capable of burning you when things look covered and, you know, the, the defense, the ends get too far rushed up the field and all of a sudden it creates a Red Sea-like opening up the middle, whatever it might be. You had uh, Daniels last week against Stanford. I think he had like a 51-yard scamper yep. for a touchdown. And Rising, obviously, he had a touchdown run against the Trojans. It's, uh, we know he can move around a little bit. I love the kid's swagger. I said that when he was second team. This is one of my great calls, DJ, and I am just going to revel in it because I've got plenty of horrible <laughs> calls, but I had this one. I called this one, and so Hold I'm on just going to gonna roll around on it. Yeah. Hold yeah. on to it tight. I said he had swag, and I said he had swag before he even took a snap in a one-on-one -on -one interview. Is the O-line going to protect that well, as well as it did against SC, because it gives a quarterback a chance to show his stuff. All of a sudden, receivers have time to get open. He's got time. Instead of, you know, San Diego State, he's just running all over the place, trying to buy time, trying to extend plays. SC, man, he's driving back. He's comfortable. He's looking over the whole field. And you can, as a quarterback, you can really shine when you get that kind of time. Well, and that's just it, too. When he didn't get that kind of time, he still made plays. And he's capable of doing that. And he's got this team believes in him. It's really a startling development how quickly he assumed control of the team. I mean, even in the loss to the Aztecs, he assumed control of the team. And it's only grown deeper and stronger. And he's, he's made his mark. He's planted his name, image, and likeness on the team <laughs> and the way he's done it. So can he continue that? And the Devils offense is progressively getting a little bit better each week, I think you can say. They got one of their key guys back that they didn't have against BYU. Uh, this Diamante Trianum kid is a bowling ball of a running back. He's very, very good, and he wasn't available when they came up to Provo. He's available now, and he's making a difference. They're going to run. If they can't run the ball, they're in a world of hurt. And they both teams have got emerging tight ends. 
there's no way I know this kind of stuff against uh, for Baylor. Sorry, I just don't. Give me a couple years and I will, but I don't now. And it has nothing to do with scheduling. It's all about personnel. So because I don't know much about Baylor, that's why the schedule becomes that bigger of a deal. Circle because Curtis. I don't. Circle Curtis Hodges if you're a Ute fan. Big kid, 21, Yeah, 21 yards per catch. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to throw the ball to the tight end and get first downs and all that. But 21 yards per catch for a tight end, that is an enormous number. And it's not like it's skewed by one big, long, you know, 80-yard touchdown pass. I don't throw to him that much. He, his long is 48 yards. So he's a yes, big he's kid an emerging and a target. Yep. And they're developing him in a way that they haven't developed anybody at tight end in a good while. Who was their last great tight end? Todd Heaps. <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> I'd have to double check that, uh, but he, he comes to mind. We got poll questions up. Go to, uh, go to my Twitter, David DJ James. You can vote. Right now, the uh, Utes getting 60% of the vote to win Saturday night up on the hill. Baylor getting 57% of the vote to win. 40% think Baylor wins and covers that, uh, that six-pointer. So the, the comments are taking shots at each other. The voting is uh, a little more optimistic for the Utes right now. I got BYU fans here, and Marley's just looking at me shaking their head. No, no. Aggies overwhelming favorites, 76% of the vote for the Aggies to win and cover and 96 for them just a win. Not much doubt on that front. If you want to know how winning is the great deodorant, just a few weeks back we are talking about this impending NCA and some form of penalty that's coming their way against mm-hmm. ASU and how it was going to impact, and their season's going to get away. It's going to implode. They had to, the, the, It's unprecedented. Three assistant coaches off the staff the tight ends coach who's one of them and then two guys on the defense and it's like oh my gosh they're just uh circling the wagons there taking on water blah 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 well now here we are in the middle of season because they're five and one nobody's talking about it yeah it doesn't doesn't seem to matter as much anymore but six weeks ago it was the dominant storyline oh man they are a sinking ship and I think they're going to have some penalties, and they still could clean house coaching-wise. Would not surprise me from what I have been he- hearing that uh, has mirrored a lot of it. It's been reported. It's not like I have a ton of inf- inside information. I have a ton of inside speculation, but not necessarily fact beyond what's already been reported. I'm not going to say that. And it was such a big deal, and now you really don't hear about it anymore because they're winning. And if they lose a couple of ball games, well, then we'll start hearing about it again. That is exactly how it will work, 100%. Spot on. But if they beat the Utes, then they're 6-1, and one, and they're 4-0, and oh, and they're in first place, and they've beaten the two teams that look like their best competition in the division. They will be sitting pretty and overwhelming favorites to win. Doesn't mean they will, and... You've pointed out if Daniels goes down, where's the experience behind him? I mean, there isn't any. No, that would, they would need the first mid-season grad transfer. <laughs> a waiver wire. Mid-season grad transfer. <laughs> well, they've got a kid who's 5'11", like 170 pounds. 
out of Tucson who came there as a walk-on, and he's number two. Then they got a freshman uh, who has never taken a snap. Yeah, their quarterback room is very thin, which is ironic <laughs> because Daniels himself is very thin. See what you yeah. did there. Very clever. Well played. And if he should try his hand at the NFL, they will be in a world of hurt next year if they don't get transfers. But there's no point in evaluating your team the way we used to. Oh, next year's their year. Because with the transfer situation, whether it be grad or undergrad, you just don't know. So get back to me in July as far as that goes. But, yeah, this kid uh, can't afford to get hurt because they have a walk-on and a freshman who was like a two- or three-star himself, if you want to believe in that stuff. So it's all about Daniels, and that's pretty much it. But he's well, playing thing, now, so you don't yeah. have to worry about it. Right. And if they win this, then the only game they'd have left against a team with a winning record would be Oregon State. Maybe some of these other teams that are at 500 have winning records when they get to the game, but the schedule does not look overwhelming for ASU here down the stretch. Uh, I would agree with that on paper, yes, which you can also make an argument that if they lose this game, it's not that devastating because are we expecting the Utes to go undefeated? Probably not. They would need the Utes to lose twice. Which is not outrageous. If they would go 7-2, and that would be a pretty good record. I can't tell you the individual games in which they lose. Uh, So I I clearly think that there's more at stake for the Utes than there is the Devils because of the things you just stated. Although yep. neither clinches it, obviously. It cannot be clinched in the literal middle of October. Just no way. No, it's too early, but Arizona State has played an extra game, and they've beaten UCLA, and it looks like there's three teams in the division that just can't compete for the title. So this is a massive game for ASU to get it done. A massive game. I think for right. both. I think for both. Yeah, absolutely for the Utes. You're right. For the Utes, there's just so much more work to be done. They've got to play the extra game. They've still got to play UCLA. Uh, they do get UCLA at home, but, you know, for whatever that is worth in a couple weeks. Right. Uh, there, there is still plenty of work to be done. And, and probably because we have just have a little more doubt in the Utes after watching a back-to-back non-conference losses, which is ironic because – if the Utes had just found a way to pull out that game with San Diego State, if they make the quarterback change earlier, would that have done it? Um, you know, very close to catching the ball and going to another overtime, but they didn't get that done. But other than that, well, they both have the loss in Provo. Remarkably similar seasons, except the Utes dropped that San Diego State. Well, the, the Utes played a tougher opponent. A tougher in, opponent, yeah, than in, the, in the non-conference than the Devils did. Essentially, that's all that's separating them, some concocted two-point conversion that you have to go for. You can't even really call it a two-point conversion because it wasn't after a touchdown. (laughs) Two-point play? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yes, you're right. It's a two-point play. That's, That's so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it's one snap. And the difference is they both they both scheduled a Mountain West team, but ASU scheduled winless UNLV. And Utah scheduled San Diego State, and it turns out to be in a year when they're nationally ranked and undefeated. Well, so, good for them. Good, good thinking. Yeah. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. Coming up this morning, uh, we've got our weekly Friday visit with David Locke. He will stop by. We will hear from uh, David Locke. He is going to join us 
coming up this morning at, uh, as he tries to recall the time, 9 o'clock, Yuck. 8 o'clock is next. Jordan Simone, Arizona State football radio analyst at 8.30, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This week's Raider game against the Broncos brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits. Now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Well, PK, uh, we saw the list of college football coaching salaries come out. And it made me flash back to the conversation we had with Chad Lewis a couple weeks ago about uh, the donors who said, you know, if you get into Power Five, come back and check with us. And uh, and it's like, well, (laughs) we're in the Power Five. (laughs) It's time to start calling these folks up. The average Big 12 salary, the, the middle uh, is Matt Campbell. They, they don't have a salary for Dave Aranda at Baylor, but they have the other nine coaches' salaries. $4 million for uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. That salary puts him fifth out of the nine coaches. That is what BYU is up against as they go into the Big 12. That's a big pile of money. Oh, for sure, yeah. We knew that. I mean, we didn't know it literally, but since you looked at these numbers, now you do. But certainly we knew that uh, ideologically, I guess, that that's, yeah. that's where it's at. You know, Kyle is over $5 million to coach at Utah. The discrepancies sometimes can get enormous. I think I, I saw a thing where David Shaw is like an $8, 9000000 million somewhere that's- right there. Done me when I saw that. It's number three in the country. And they've got, out of the 130 coaches, they've got like 122, 123 salaries, something like that. A couple of the military academies then will have a handful of private schools. Yeah, the only thing I could think on that is they're factoring cost of living because obviously he's living in an extremely high area in general. Then specifically, mm-hmm. he's even living in a higher area yeah, than right. the rest of the area. Yeah, the Bay Area is really expensive, and Stanford's are kind of in the southwest corner of the Bay Area, and that's the most expensive part of the Bay Area. Yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe maybe in the city proper, you know, it, but that's super expensive because you're down there by all the big dot coms and the tech and the high salaries. So well, if I had to pick anywhere in that area, I would pick exactly where he is because that's going to get me the best weather. It's not going to be winter. Every day in the summer. It's summer, right. Exactly. You know, <laughs> That's just so true. Yeah, you can. It's, it's literally the only place that I've been in in the U.S. in the summer where I get hot chocolate. You go to Giants games, you go at night, oh, it yeah. could be July, and you get hot chocolate. It's, it's, it's a fact, right? We, we know that. And so you get down there in that southwest area of the Bay Area, and it's just absolutely beautiful. 
and yep. 75, 80 degrees maybe. So it's just gorgeous. So th- that's what I was wondering because, man, he is making a ton of money, obviously. So you're wondering, was that part of the deal there? I don't know if it is, but nevertheless, he's making a ton of money, and these guys are making tons of money, yeah. And so Kalani, you know, that's the reality. He's going to continue to win, hopefully for him and his, pro- for he and his program, and then somebody's going to take a look at him. I would imagine I've never interviewed him for a job, but I would imagine he's a great interview. <laughs> Because he's so personable. He's just a he's a touchy feely guy. He is a people person. He likes people. He likes talking. Doesn't matter who it is. And so you're gonna come away impressed. The point being, he's going to have other opportunities. And then it's gonna be up to him to decide what he wants for his family. And it's gonna be up to BYU to see how much of a difference they can make up. I don't think literally they made to make up the entire difference, but they're probably gonna to have to make up some. And I have a level of confidence that they will the bottom of the big 12 kansas is paying their coach 2.8 million the top of the big 12 oklahoma's paying their coach 7.8 million four million's the middle number chad lewis two weeks ago you knew they already had a pretty good idea and you could hear in chad's voice when he was talking about what they had to do as far as fundraising at the y as they get ready to go into the big 12 All right, DJ and PK coming up next. David Locke, his weekly visit, the Jazz opener on Wednesday. Where does Butler fit in the rotation? We will talk with him coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're broadcasting live from Marley's today. One of our favorite remotes. Stop by, located just off I-15, 1600 North Exit in Linden. We're inside Timpanogos Harley-Davidson. They got the drive through You can call in an order. The drive throughs on the west end of the building. Pick it up. You'll be right back on the road and on your way. They do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right now, they got bottomless pancakes, bottomless French toast. Got the whole breakfast menu here breakfast sliders ham bacon sausage you can stop by right now be in and out in a minute coming up at lunch and dinner a wide range of options personally i'm all about the fajita slider i love the tri-tip but they've got a half dozen different ones the killer is wildly popular the lex is very good i've done that and a reminder here their burgers they buy local grass-fed, locally-raised beef, no hormones, no antibiotics, maximum taste. Stop by Marley's Gourmet Sliders, located just off I-15, 1600 North Exit. Go west inside Harley-Davidson, the Timpanogos Harley-Davidson. It's Marley's, and we'll be here till 10 a.m. on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stop by, pick up a jazz T-shirt, and we've got one jazz jersey, a collector's item. PK, I want you to think about what player this might be. Only you will figure it out. It is quite odd. So that's your clue, and we'll work on that with David Locke next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in David Locke for his weekly visit. David is on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. And David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. David James, what a pleasure yep. to talk to you this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm great. Gosh, it's just a great thing on a, for every Friday to know that I am a lifelong friend. Well, not lifelong. Majority of my lifelong to friend to talk to. It just makes me happy. We have known each other for a little more than a quarter of a century. We're getting old. But PK is re- frozen in time. Have you done the... Um, I'm sure you've done this. Have you done the whole game where you realize you suddenly lived more years in Utah than any other location? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Did that a while ago. <laughs> like I, ju- I think I just crossed over because I had the – I left, right? So I just – I have 18 years in the Bay Area, four years in L.A., and then I have like eight years in um, Seattle or whatever it was, and I have 19 here. So I've crossed over. I'm a Utahan. Later, later on, I'll do the math and try to figure out how old you are. All right, David, let's get I'm right fi- to the... I'm 51 and completely comfortable. No, I'm not, actually. That would be a Okay, lie. good. <laughs> okay. All right, let's, let's get right to it. The preseason is in the books. What do you know now that you didn't know when the preseason started? What would you learn over four games and uh, traveling to Texas? I actually think the most important thing is the state of the veterans. I know we want to talk about Jared Butler, and you're going to want to take me there, and everyone's going to want to talk about the young kids. But to me, the most important thing is the state of the veterans. And what I mean by that is that you have – I think you had a chance that guys could have been in a not great place. And two playoff – I don't know what you want to call them, you know, collapses, failures – you know, free fall, whatever, those weren't good, right? You're up on the Nuggets, you're up on the Clippers, and you lose both series in pretty, pretty, you know, scary ways. And and so I thought there was a real chance you could have some internal scars you had to free up. And if they did, I didn't feel them on content day when we met with the guys, and I certainly didn't see it all on the floor. In fact, I saw the opposite. I saw in the preseason Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell particularly making – an incredible effort to guard the ball. And those could have been the same efforts. You know, that, again, same thing. Very easily could have been, you know what, Fred, I got it. We got to contain the ball. I'll do it in the regular season. Um, I saw Clarkson pushing the tempo at a much accelerated rate. And then even hearing him say, well, I want Jared Butler to see what they were doing. So I, I thought, and I think the, the training camp period has been managed very well by the coaching staff. The first part was really a come back together, get together, almost recreate the bubble and address this issue of like, where are we mentally as a group? And then part two was let's go play. And now let's get ready for the regular season. So I really think that from the coaching staff did a wonderful job, but I'm really impressed by where the veterans are. And frankly, that's what matters. Like the Jared Butler, Elijah Hughes, all those conversations we can have. Trent Forrest played very well before his concussion. They're cute, but the reality is the the nine guys are going to play all the time are the ones that matter. Not that it matters that much, but how did they come up with a preseason schedule where some teams played five and six games and other teams played maybe only three or four? Patrick Kinahan. Yes. I might be for the first time ever in my life disappointed. First time. I mean, really very first time. But not the last time. No, probably. I mean, knowing the track record, it's been like 20 years. I've taken one. So, yeah, maybe the last time, probably. I mean, Chip, not one of them. Like, you know. Um, I just was curious about this. What do you think the answer is? You know I don't it. know. No, I have Jay no McGuire. idea. Jay McGuire! 
<laughs> I'm a Sun Devil then. I went to Arizona State. Show me the money. <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> Is it as simple as there's a maximum number of games they're allowed to play and some teams are like, our guys need time off. It was a short off season. We had Olympians. We had a long playoff run. The playoffs fell later. Let's Show me the game. money! <laughs> Thank you. Ouch. <laughs> what the Lakers do? Didn't they play like 11 preseason games? I think they went six, and they lost every single one of them. Um, you know why? Because every time they put one of those on television, and one of them, every time they travel somewhere to play, how many of them were home games? I don't know. I bet you four or five were home games. Uh, you well, talk, I'll find out. Three. <laughs> they look. Uh, they they lose three up? home. Three. They're they're five games back in a preseason. If that means anything, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> to, to the Sacramento Kings too. I mean, tells you a little bit of what preseason matters. Yes. Did Russell ever get his assists over his throws? Uh, he had a crappy preseason. He he didn't make all league preseason. That's for sure. He didn't make all-league anything last year. No, well, he continued in the preseason. Okay. He shot last year the number that no one's talking about on Russell Westbrook. I think he shot – I don't. I, you have to look it up on basketball reference, and I don't have that from you right now. I, I, he shot something like 16% of his shots at the rim, down from 28 or 29% the year before. Like if, we'll see, but that – there's three numbers that I always look at for aging on guards. Percentage of shots at the rim. Percentage of dunks, like for mid-level players. And then your steal or your block rate as a player. Those are the, those are the numbers you look to, at least in my mind, that says athleticism is going away. you got a guy with multiple knee surgeries who goes from 32 33% of his shots at the rim to 17 18% of his shots at the rim, and I see a big red flag right there. So I'm curious, when you look at those numbers, do they change for LeBron? Because the eyeball test tells me he's playing on a perimeter and really picking his spots when to be explosive. When he chooses to be, he still is. But it seems like he's choosing it less. But that's just me watching games here or there, depending on the Jazz schedule. I mean, my metrics on LeBron's efficiency and my points gained offense metrics I use to judge players has LeBron declining. Okay. Like, he's 38. No, yeah. whatever, Sherlock. But <laughs> he's, he's declining. Like, he's very, very clearly declining. And does that mean that for a two-month period, he can't ramp it up for four out of seven games or probably better ramp it up for, you know, five out of seven? Um, no. And so I've said this about the Lakers the whole time. The way their roster is constructed, their lack of efficiency on offense, how they're built, I think they're going to get to the 64th game of the year, be 34 and 30, and all of a sudden have to play hard for the final 20 games of the season to avoid the play-in game. And the question to me is going to be, do they fatigue out or have injuries because they have to push early? But there's, uh, uh, that, that team, and then, the, and then you just get into a playoff question of whether AD and LeBron are so great they can win playoff games. But there's... I may turn out to be wildly wrong here. There's nothing about that team in any of my metrics that clicks into me for the pre- for a regular season. I have them as the ninth best offensive team in the Western Conference. I have them as a 44-win offensive team this year, and that's only if AD has a good year. 
and he had a bad year last year. All right, with that in mind. The only, the only, I'll add another one. The only way the Lakers have home court in the first round, according to my metrics, is if Anthony Davis is the MVP. So who has home court in the first round then? What are the four teams? Phoenix, Utah, Denver. Don't know the fourth. Not Golden State. Golden State and the Lakers on my metrics are not. I don't see it. I don't get it. Um... Like, the one thing no one's talking about is that Clay had started to decline a little bit before his injuries. Now he's going to come back and be a world beater? That just doesn't, the Warriors thing doesn't make any sense to me at all. How they're the number two team in, or number three team in some championship odds, it's just like how, in the West, like, I don't get it. Uh, Phoenix I have as the one seed. Utah I have as the two seed. Denver I think I have as the three seed. Dallas, Portland, oh, Clippers. Uh, I've got Dallas, but Jason Kidd's the head coach, so who knows? He is the head I have coach. I have the Clippers still being pretty good. Paul George. Paul George could have an MVP candidate here pretty easily. And there's nobody on that. As much as everybody's like, Kawhi, 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 and, there's a, and the same thing with Jamal Murray, the question is the burden and the fatigue. Because in the isolated moments, Michael Porter Jr. taking Jamal Murray's shots, Denver just got better offensively. And the question is whether P.J. Dozier and any of their fringe players can actually improve enough to be efficient, which they haven't been. If they do, then Denver's going to be really good. I have Dallas as the number two offense in the Western Conference. And so the question is whether Jason Kidd destroys that or not. I just don't know. Um, and then the case in the Clippers, I actually have them as very good because you take Kawhi Leonard's 22 possessions, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris Sr., Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson. None of those guys are complaining they have to have two or three more possessions a game. And they were all efficient last year, so I think they'll be fine. The question is just going to be the burden on Jokic, the burden on Paul George, and losing that second primary guy in an 82-game schedule and how much that wears them out and, you know, how many games Paul George plays. DJ, PK, and David Locke join us here, his weekly visit. And, David, I am curious. You talk about the numbers on Russell Westbrook, the finishing at the rim, the stuff you look at in aging guards. What do those numbers tell you about Mike Conley and Joe Ingles and the older guys the Jazz are counting on? So Mike Conley already had his decline, and and I think that is a little bit of what his struggle was in year one with us. Some of it was understanding Rudy and how to play pick and roll, and two was figuring out, how to play as a 33-year-old player. You can figure it out, right? Doesn't mean It just means your game has changed. You've aged. But Mike Conley's rim finishing, I don't know if you want to go to basketball reference and find it, Mike Conley's rim finishing took a serious dive the year before he came to us. And so um, there, that aging process on Mike Conley happened. And then last year he had a career year from three, one of the better years from three, improved his off-the-bounce three-point shooting, and – changed his game, I think increased his amount of three-point takes from about 38% of the shots to about 47, somewhere in that range. So he evolved as a player, and that's why, you know, you don't see him getting to the rim. You see him taking that floater and playing that game, and it's why it was so – he and Rudy struggled so much in that first year trying to figure out where Mike was getting that shot, how he was getting his shots, because Mike didn't have the burst to get to the rim like he used to. Joe Ingles, I actually have to look. I know a year ago – there were no signs. The really interesting one on Ingles was there had yet to be any statistical sign of him of showing those signs, and then he had a career year, um, which was really interesting because it should have shown up. I can't imagine that it shows up now 
considering the fact that he had such an unbelievable year last year. He was really, really great last year. I don't, I, I, you know, if you ask me my biggest concern for the Jazz this year, it's how great Joe Ingles was last year, and he could come back to his career norm, which is really, really good, and it would be a significant step back for us because of how great he really was last year. Any indication that that would happen, or you feel confident he'll continue? No, I would think – I mean, this is like the switch from going from 45% three-point shots at eight or nine attempts to 39%, which are 40%, which I, I, I suspect he'll be numerically, like no emotion, not like talking about Joe, the, like just like, totally ignoring this as a human being and completely looking at numbers. I project Joe to shoot 39% from three this year, still on his – being able to get his eight or nine attempts that he got last year, which is the number coming back down a little bit more in career. Usually – I think he's a 40 or 41% three-point shooter who is averaging five or six. Most players, when they go from five or six threes to eight, drop one or two percentage points because they're, you know, we saw with Buddy Heald in Sacramento. It's a good example. We've seen it with Bradley Beal in, in Washington. Usually when they suddenly increase that usage rate, you now suddenly drop. You have that drop in efficiency. Joe did the exact opposite, which is unheard of. That's why I'm talking about how incredibly great his season was last year. I think he went from, and again, you have to check my numbers because I'm not great at always remembering these things perfectly, but conceptually he went from five or six threes a game to seven or eight, and he went from a career 40% three-point shooter to 45. That's unheard of. That was an, that's, you know, that's six man of the year, all, like really all-star caliber year last year by Joe Ingles. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You follow the Pac-12, David. Is there anything you would like to enlighten us upon before you dive headlong into the NBA? Can you help Ute fans at all with this Arizona State game? Um, isn't Arizona State really good? That quarterback's really, really good, right? Yep. I mean, like he kicked the crap out of Stanford last week, so <laughs> he sure looked good against us. I, I'll tell you what, I give Utah a lot of credit. They did something truly remarkable. They wore a uniform that looked awfully close to Stanford and still were able to play defense at USC. I have never in my life ever seen a team in a uniform that looked like that play any defense at USC in my life. All right. Not entirely true. We've won some big games there. But. Last thing. we I told PK this in the did last the segment. State, wait, we, did the Washington State coach quit yet or get fired yet? Nope. No. Oh, okay. We are. Uh, I'm live at Marley's here, and I've got a very random jazz jersey. Clearly, it came from. Uh, it didn't move in a clearance sale. The players now moved on. Can you imagine what former player's jersey is here? If anyone wants to stop by and pick up a jersey at Marley, 1600 North in Linden, broadcasting live till 10 a.m. Bottomless French I'd... toast, bottomless pancakes. Oh, bottomless French toast! We are talking yep. Linden. Here I come. All right, so former Jazz player yep. has moved has moved on. Yep. Rand, so would, when this player was a Jazz player, would the jersey have been random even then? Oh, it would have been a little bit of an outlier, yeah. Okay, is the player still on a roster? Yes. Have we seen the player in person in the last week? <laughs> Oh, come on. You don't get that kind of quiz. Yeah, I'm not giving you that. Those game shows, man. (laughs) Is the player still active? Yes. Former Jazz player and would have been random. Yes. But, uh, 
And, but the jersey was sold in the team store. Yes. So random to me would be Tony Bradley. No. And my other choice would be Grayson Allen. Boom, winner. There it is. You nailed it. <laughs> I got it the first time, but you wouldn't answer the question. <laughs> That's why I wouldn't answer the question. I didn't, I didn't want you to get no fun. Why have we been friends this long? You're no fun at all. I was fun. You're having a good time. You're lying right now. Why are we friends? You lie to me. Because uh, we hung out at the hog wallet 25 years ago. When life <laughs> all right, David, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Hey, Patrick Kinahan. Yeah. You didn't disappoint me that much. Okay. Phew. Woo. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure you could go on with your day without worry. I, you know, I'd hate to have been a burden on your weekend. And I, I thought there was a chance at like some real sorrow. Uh, and by yeah. the way, how, um, what, at, so if you leave at 10 one on your drive to play golf in Southern Utah this weekend, what time do you arrive? Uh, are cops out? Is it a busy weekend? It's probably Friday. Uh, there's some small towns trying to make some money this weekend, I bet. Oh, yeah, uh, right? <laughs> I got my first par by 2.30. All right. <laughs> I, 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 could, I, I might get my first par by tomorrow. <laughs> well, if all, if all goes well. All right. You're a good man, PK. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, there's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Coming up next, we are going to talk Arizona State football with Jordan Simone, Arizona State football radio analyst. We are going to give away tickets to see the Utes and the Sun Devils play, and we will do that in the next segment. So if you got a little free time tomorrow night, uh, 8 o'clock, you'd like to go to the game, make sure you stick around for the next segment. DJ and PK, we are broadcasting live. Marley's Gourmet Sliders in Linden, just off I-15. It's the 1600 North exit. You go west, you'll be there in about 22 seconds. It is close. And if you need to get through and get your food and get on the way real quick, call in your order. You can pick it up at the drive through window, or you could order at the drive through window, old school style. They got bottomless pancakes. They got bottomless French toast. They got breakfast sliders, ham, bacon, sausage. Maybe you want to try the pastrami with the egg and the cheese. Also, if you're coming by lunch or dinner, a wide range of sliders, and they're all fantastic. I'm all about the fajita because I like the tri-tip, but you can try the killer. You can try the Lexi. They got a ton of options. And remember with the burgers, they buy pasture-raised, grass-fed, high-quality local beef. No hormones, no antibiotics to speed up growth. They are old school. And make sure you check out the shoestring fries while you're here. Marley's in Linden, off I-15, the 1600 North exit. Just west, they're in Timpanogos Harley-Davidson on the west end of the building. They got the drive through window going, and they're open tonight until 9 p.m. DJ and PK here at Marley's, and we're giving away... ASU Utah tickets next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. 
from Monday morning to the post-game press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We promise tickets at 8.30. Utah, Arizona State, Saturday night, 8 o'clock. You could watch on ESPN or you could go to the game if you're caller number 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Jake Hatch is standing by ready to give caller number 12 the tickets. 855-340-ZONE. All right. Time to bring in Jordan Simone right now. He is Arizona State's football radio analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Jordan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Happy to be on the show with you. Happy to have you here, and we were hoping you can enlighten us because we do not know what to expect in a game that Vegas is labeled to pick them. What do you expect? Yeah. Man, I, you know, anytime there's a home pick them game, I, I think you, you lean towards the, the team that's visiting. Um, and obviously, I'm, I'm a huge homer for ASU, so take, take everything I say with a grain of salt. But, man, you know what? It's, it's funny. When, when you study this game, it's very similar to the 2019 Utah-ASU game, but the personnel is flipped. So Utah in 2019 had a veteran team, you know, Bradley and I, Lecky Fotu, Tyler Huntley. They had um, Zach Moss. They were an experienced team with a good run game. They were, you know, mostly seniors. A lot of guys got drafted. And ASU in 2019 was opposite. They were a young team that was really talented, a young quarterback that had a lot of praise and, and high hopes and, you know, hopefully when these young guys get the experience, they'd be that team. Now flip it in 2021. So ASU is the experienced team, and Utah is the young team with talent and a young quarterback that's got a lot of, you know, hope, and, and the, the university feels really good about it. So, man, it's, it's going to be a really fun game to watch, but it's amazing how these things flip. And, you know, obviously Utah's playing a lot of talented freshmen that are making plays, but I've always heard that the amount of freshmen you play are the amount of games that you're going to lose. And so it's like, you know, if you're playing four freshmen, you're probably going to lose four games that year because of those inexperienced mistakes. Jordan, I think I might be the only one in the state of Utah who knows your career record as the color analyst is one and zero when you moved in for Rand Force <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yep, that is, that is accurate, man. This is going to be my uh, – I'm actually calling this game too. Um, so I'm, I'm excited um, – you know, I'll, I'll be a be a color analyst. So I don't know if that if that makes you a little bit more scared, but man, I'm looking to go two and zero. Yeah, I know that because I listen to the uh, Arizona sports. I'm a Phoenix guy. I went to ASU myself, so I got that. <laughs> oh no way! Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. We we had uh, we had you and Berkovici when we were down at Pac-12 Media. Uh, your I guess your senior years. We always broadcast down there. And I can remember you guys. I think yeah. it was both of you guys who came yeah. on. Yeah, that, that was a, a great weekend, man. We had a blast and meeting all you guys. And, and it's funny now, you know, being in the broadcasting world, it's, um, it's, you just look at it, you know, obviously from a different point of view, but it's, it's such a fun career. And I can see why all you guys love it so much. 
For sure. Yeah, as, as I look at this Arizona State team, uh, the, the pass game has progressed this season, and uh, the run game with uh, Trianum back is pretty good. Defense has been probably about uh, as good as we expected with the back seven guys. Uh, the, the thing that I think that has surprised me the most is in the interior, and the Devils historically have always had some pretty good skill guys, but up front has been uh, somewhat questionable. But the offensive line, to me, has really come together probably better than I expected. And the defensive line, when they had Lole go out with an injury, I thought that they were in trouble. And I think with guys like Tyler Johnson and some others, they've played better than expected. So I think the big story so far after six games halfway through the season is the line play on both sides. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when, when Herm Edwards uh, took the ASU job, that was his main, that was his main goal was, was let's get bigger and stronger on the front because you look at teams in the SEC or, you know, even the, the Big Ten, they've all got huge offense and defensive linemen, big guys. And so Herm, that was his first goal was, hey, let's go, let's go recruit only big guys at offensive line. And they did that for, you know, three or four years. And now you're, you're sitting here and you got to, a veteran offensive line, you know, with, with, you know, a couple transfers that came in, but guys that, that play well together and they're well coached, you know, and so defensive line, you know, they have standards for who they're going to recruit at DN. It can't be anybody below six, four at, you know, at uh, at D tackle can't be anybody below six, three, two eighty. So they have these measurables that they go for when they recruit. And that's turned into what you see now is this uh, defensive line unit. That's, that's, you know, done a good job of getting after the passer and, Tyler Johnson won a couple of awards last week, in the, not only the Pac-12, but nationally. So they've got the guys, they've got the skill and experience. It's, now it's just you know rubber meet the road, and, and you got to go make plays. So then at tight end, they don't want anybody below 6'7"? <laughs> you know, you, you would think, but I, I think they're, they're a little bit loose there. I, I, I don't think they'd be mad with somebody who's 6'4 or 6'6". Or <laughs> <laughs> I bring it up because Curtis Hodge is at 6'8", and I know Gronk's an Arizona guy, but, I mean, he's a beast, averaging over 21 yards per catch. That's a massive number for anyone, let alone a tight end. Yeah, and it's probably even more. He's had three or four long passes called back, you know, a couple against BYU, a couple – um, uh, two weeks ago. So he, he's had even longer passes that got called back and touchdowns. And he's been a guy that I've been really impressed with. He stepped up big for ASU. They needed a, a pass catching tight end. And our offensive coordinator, Zach Hill, comes from a, you know, very traditional offensive style where they want to use tight ends in the pass game and blocking. And he's done a good job of blocking as well, which you, you know, you got to do behind a, a run game with, with, you know, two really talented running backs. Do you know the status of Fields and Lucas in the defensive backfield? Because I know that they got hurt, and that could be a blow. Yeah, I think they're hopeful that they're going to come back. You know, I've heard that they've been practicing lightly. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know the extent of their injuries, but I, I do know that they're trying to get those guys back, you know, as, as best they can. Obviously, they're two, two major pieces of that, that secondary. And if they're not playing, then it's, uh, it's going to be trouble. But the good thing about this ASU team is that they've developed this next man up mentality. And, and I, I don't just say that they have depth. They have depth when they lost Jermaine Lole, they have, you know, guys that can step in and Shannon Foreman that's played there for two, three years as well. DJ Davidson, you know, they, they've got the, the ability to rotate guys in and it's the same with the secondary. Evan Fields didn't play against UCLA and 
Kewan Markham steps in and, and plays a hell of a game and, you know, didn't let any deep balls up and didn't make any, you know, um, crucial errors. So they've got the guys to be able to step in and, and you know, fill if these senior guys get hurt. And I think that's the mark of a, of a really good team, a championship caliber team. So next man up sounds good, and every coach uh, says it, but is it really next man up if Jaden Daniels goes down? And I look at his 55 rushing attempts and think, man, is he getting hit a lot, or does he get out of bounds? Obviously, he scored against Stanford. Uh, does he get out so, of bounds? Is he scrambling so on his own? Are up, they designing this? Next man up mentality does not apply to Jaden Daniels. Let me make that very clear. No, we cannot have Jaden Daniels go down to if it's a significant drop-off, and that's no disrespect to his backup. It's, it's the amount of respect I have for Jaden Daniels. But he does such a good job of getting down and not taking contact of of, of not taking too many hits. If you watch, uh, if you watch Dylan, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA, he takes a lot of bad hits, and he hurt his shoulder against Stanford a couple weeks ago. You know, So he, he wasn't running as smart, whereas Jaden, since he's a freshman, he's always had this unique ability to, to get down when there's about to be contact. Know when the journey's over is what Herm Edwards likes to say. Um, and so he does a great job of doing that getting out of bounds, you know, taking, taking what the defense gives him. And so a lot of those runs are scrambles, especially in the beginning of the year because he didn't look comfortable sitting in the pocket. But as the games have, have come and gone, he's gotten more comfortable sitting in the pocket, trusting his offensive line, because I'm sure when he watches on film, he's going, man, I'm breaking down the pocket and I don't even need to. So he does a great job. He's, he's, he's always been wise beyond his years in that aspect of the game. The Devils had a fourth and one inside the red zone the other night against Stanford. They go for it. They don't get it. They later had like a 30-yard field goal, and Zendejas pushes it. He was their kicker. Then he wasn't their kicker. Now he is their kicker. Kickers have left. Punters have left. Uh, How much concern is there as far as special teams go in scoring points for the Sun Devils? Man, special teams has been a big issue for them. Um, I think they they played their best game on special teams probably last week. And I mean that in just they didn't turn the football, uh, you know, they didn't have a bad penalty or turn the football over. Um, so definitely a better game. And their special teams coach, Sean Slocum, comes from the NFL. He was actually my special teams coach when I was at ASU. He's an awesome coach. He's a great guy. And I know he'll get those guys right. As far as the guys that have left and come back, then Dejas, you know, put his name into the NFL and then found out that he wasn't going to be, you know, drafted or picked up. And so now there's that new rule where you can come back to school. So, or I, I believe that's what happened. Don't quote me on it. Um, and then our punter left because he didn't want to get the vaccine. Um, and, you know, they were not making it mandatory, but mandatory here at Arizona State. So he, he didn't want to get the vaccine. And, and so he chose to transfer to Oklahoma. And um, so, yeah, we, we wish him the best. He was a stud. But our new punter is, uh, is, is solid as well. I mean, he's, he's money you know, dropping the ball inside the 10-yard line. So we got a, we got a good group, and they, they've gotten better, you know, every game. So as long as you're talking special teams, you'd fans flinch a little bit because they gave up two kickoff returns for touchdowns in consecutive weeks. Kyle Whittingham commented how ridiculous that was, and they have tightened up the act. So maybe the problem is fixed, but how good is a kick return game? Well, DJ Taylor is a guy that in the beginning of the year you would talk about potentially being, you know, an All-American punt returner and kick returner. But he made two crucial mistakes, um, one against UCLA and there was another one in the game. But, but sometimes, you know, when you, when you get that swag about you and that confidence, 
you try to do too much, and that's that's exactly what he did. He tried to, you know, catch the ball off a of bounce, and it hit him, and it went right into the UCLA guy's hand with three seconds left in the first half, and they kicked the field goal. And, you know, so it's it's stuff like that that our coaches are just like, man, we can't have that. That's unacceptable. Um, and, and so DJ Taylor is a guy that I imagine they'll, they'll put back there this week and give another chance, especially because of, you know, the tape of, you know, letting a couple uh, punt returns so, uh, you know, I'd imagine D.J. Taylor is a, is a guy that you guys will you'll see his name this weekend. Jordan, no matter what happens going forward from one devil to another, 70, 70 to 7, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, I'm waiting for that, uh, that performance here, that, that four-quarter game again from ASU. I don't know if it'll be this weekend, but I'm looking forward to an, an, an amazing game. And I always love playing at Rice-Eccles Stadium, man. There's, there's always something – cool about that culture and 66 games in a row you guys have sold out there um so you guys have the the amazing fan base and i was impressed with byu too i know that utah guys don't like to hear that but um but uh it's going to be a great game i'm looking forward to it thanks for having me on guys thanks for coming on jordan we appreciate it we know you got to make the charter so hit the road thanks a lot he didn't want to pile on the wildcats there pk i can't imagine he didn't know the score 77 but he didn't pile on as fully got a giggle out of him I was ready for some piling on. I was ready to no, pull the flag. That, that, see, he's focused. He's yeah, a that's what it is. recent okay. ex-player, so he's still got the entire player mentality because it's not that long ago that he played. And so his focus is on. He understands the magnitude of this game. This is a fun game. This is what you play for, all that cliche crap here. It's right before you. And it's gonna. I, I believe it's going to be exciting. A bunch of twists and turns. I don't know who's going to come out ahead. I'm happy. I'm all, I'm okay with either team uh, uh, winning. If the Devils win, great for me. If the Utes win, great for us. And so uh, you go. That's my my take on it, and see what happens there. But yeah, I think he's he's viewing it as a, from an analytical thing, and you can't be rattled, man. We're you know the game is tomorrow, so. You, you got a bit. You're, you're you're all in right now. I think that's where he's coming from. <laughs> oh man, he can't be. Only you can think about last December. He's not doing it. <laughs> oh yeah. And in, one in, thing, in, what difference does it make to me? And one thing on Jordan, I was talking to him, getting him set up to join us yesterday. He's actually filled in for Jeff Van Raphorst, who's normally the analyst, and he's this will be his second game actually sitting alongside Tim Healy up in the booth. He's been the sideline reporter most of the time. He's been doing it. Yes, yeah, he did a game a couple weeks ago. I think uh, Van Raphorst's daughter was getting married. Correct. I think the story was, and Jeff, they call him Rapper. He is the rapper. Only Sun Devil quarterback who can claim he has a Rose Bowl victory. He, in fact, was the quarterback of the Sun Devils, kid out of San Diego in 1987. So that's his big claim to fame. But Simone is a transfer from Washington State, and uh, he's a very popular guy there. Worked his way up from nothing to be a starting safety, and now he's doing the radio for the Devils. DJ PK Football Fridays are presented by Stonehaven Dental at Stonehaven Dental. They say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. All right, PK, we got an update on the Grace and Allen jersey, and you are going to love this. Tell you about it next. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and the zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. 
After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This week's Raider game against the Broncos is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. All right, PK, live here at Marley's. Got a Grayson Allen jersey. Talked about it on the air. Sure enough, guy comes in, Kalen. Says he's a Duke fan. Says the whole family is Duke fans. To the point, he's now got a nephew named Grayson. <laughs> so he's now got the Grayson Allen, Navy, Grayson Allen Navy Blue jersey. And because there's no shortage of Grayson Allen jerseys, we now have the gold, a.k.a. yellow, uh, Grayson Allen jersey number four, 24, ready for the next person who comes in. There's yet another Grayson Allen jersey. And if you don't want a Grayson Allen jersey, which I get because I didn't know we'd be discussing this when we got here this morning, there are plenty of Utah Jazz jerseys, orange, blue, gold, the navy. There's a gray here, all sizes, so stop on by. We're wow, Marley's I'm tripping. 1600 North. Yeah. More Grayson Allen jerseys. The tripper. The great big tripper. So now you listen to your guy, Simone. 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 Sorry, Simone. Simone, yes. And you have digested this. We got people, and it's, man, our poll is split almost down the middle. This thing is just as even as it gets. Did he say anything that made you think differently about this game? Well, he has more confidence three. because he's just re, you know, he's recently a player, so he has that full investment that I don't have. I have more skepticism. Uh, their special teams have been an abomination. I don't know that they're going to get them all of a sudden, get them in line here uh, in time. Not that Utah's, but Britton Covey's been good in a punt return, but their kicking has been surprisingly disappointing. Uh, they've, they've had some struggles there, obviously. And they basically opened up the competition, which I didn't anticipate. So, you know, in a game that's razor thin, that could end up being a difference, obviously. I saw Utah has like a 53% chance of winning. I don't know how they come up with these things, but that basically means nothing. I saw. <laughs> I totally uh, agree. I think is this it was, that football uh, percentage index thing? Yeah, I think, what was it, yeah. last week I was looking at stuff to watch, and I saw San Diego State had a 96% chance percent to win. Thought, what the heck, what am I going to watch that for? I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that, you know, I'm not interested in watching a slaughter. I want competition, you know? So here you, you can get – it's like I can understand 96. That means the team's overwhelmingly favored to win. Right, and at one point I think their score was thirty-one-seven. I don't know what the final was, but when it gets fifty-three percent, you know, not fifty-one, not fifty, but fifty-three, how do you get that? How do you come to that point? That's basically meaningless in terms of trying to predict a winner fifty-three to forty-seven. There's just there's very little difference there. 
Uh, so why even have it? The, neither team obviously is overwhelmingly favored. And that's good for the conference to put out what they hope is a good product between the two teams that are right now first and second place and the Utes are a half game behind because they had their bye and ASU hasn't had their bye. Obviously, they'll catch up with that here. I don't know when their bye is offhand. I'd have to look it up. But that's good for the conference, good for the division because the conference takes a lot of hit. So what you want from a conference perspective, is to have an opportunity to have a good close game and have it be competitive and somebody makes a play here or there, which I anticipated happen. And so I can't tell you who's going to make that play. I can't tell you what's going to be the difference. But I know as a fan who likes competition, that's got me intrigued. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. But it's so there's pluses and minuses on both sides and trying to determine it Uh, I just don't know. The thing that I would say, the one thing I would say is if the Devils have good success running the ball, that will bode extremely well for them to win. Conversely, if they can't, that would bode extremely well for Utah to win. The Devils, when they run the ball for 200 yards, are like 11-1 and under Herm Edwards, and they're going to try to run it. They're going to try to run it and keep trying to run it. I mean, they're basically the only way they're going to give up running is if they're behind two to three scores and the clock is dictating, not necessarily the opponent, but the clock dictating and the margin of how much you trail by combined with the clock will determine if they throw the ball. Other than that, they're going to stick with it. And if they have success, then that bodes well for them. If they don't, then it bodes well for Utah. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're broadcasting live from Marley's Gourmet Sliders in Tibinogos Harley-Davidson, just west of I-15, the 1600 North exit. Breakfast is underway. They got a buy one, get one free offer going on their breakfast sliders here. We've got a $5 gift card to give to the next person who comes through the doors, get you a discount, get you $5 off. Just say you want the discount, and we will hook you up. And they'll be switching over to their lunch menu in a little more than an hour, and they'll have the sliders going. They'll have the Lexi. They'll have the, the killer. They'll have it. They'll have it all. DJ and PK broadcasting live. Marley's right now. They got the drive-up window if you're in a hurry, or you can pop inside. There's no line right now. Just had a Packer fan roll in, even as we speak. With the Braves, down go the Dodgers, right? He's already thinking NLCS. DJ and PK broadcasting live from Marley's will be here till 10 a.m. They will be open until tonight at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone broadcasting live here at Marley's. We just had a guy come in and claim the last Grayson Allen jersey. At least I'm told it's the last Grayson Allen jersey. And... All you have to do is go up to the register, tell them, hey, $5 off. I heard it on the zone, and they will hook you up. So come on in, mention a $5 off, and uh, you get a discount here at Marley's 1600 North Exit, I-15 in Linden. We're in Timpanogos, Harley-Davidson, and you can mention at the drive through window, too. They'll hook you up, get you on your way here this morning. All right, DJ and PK. PK, we talked about this a little earlier in the show as we get ready for the big games this weekend. BYU and Baylor, two of the coaches whose salaries did not appear in the annual USAToday.com compilation of the coaches' salaries. And 
We talked to uh, Tom Holmo and Chad Lewis. We were down at a golf tournament at Riverside Country Club a couple weeks ago for the National uh, Football Foundation. And they were talking about things that have to change when they go to the Big 12. And Tom was talking about just looking at the way they do everything to make sure that they're ready to be competitive at the highest level. And Chad was talking about how much that would cost and how many boosters said, hey, if you ever go Power 5, we'll be ready to help. And he was laughing, saying, well, it's time to double back and talk to all those people. And I was just wondering off some of the conversations you've had with people, not even necessarily just now, but over the years, obviously just now because that updates the numbers. But I think the attitude is as important as the number. You know, over the years, the price tag to compete in college football just keeps skyrocketing. And there are people thinking, should BYU pay 2 pay $3 million? If you pay $2.5 million right now, a college football coach who makes $2.5 million would be the 62nd best paid coach out of 130 schools. If you pay $3 bucks, uh, then you're 54th. If you pay $4 million, then it's a tie for 32nd with uh, Dana Holgerson at Houston, who's coming into the Big 12. Um, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, who's in the Big 12. Uh, there's a group of five or six coaches there. And, you know, BYU is not going to lead the charge. We all know that. But to what degree are they going to keep pace? And to what degree do they think they need to stay in the pack? We know they believe that they offer other things that coaches will find attractive. And obviously, right now, they're dealing with Kalani, and it's his alma mater, and that's got to count for something. So what neighborhood do they have to be in so you're not insulting people? You don't have to lead the charge, but you want to be in the ballpark. Yeah, they got to be up on that hill uh, above Tim View High. That's the neighborhood up there. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you asked what neighborhood, so I'm telling you. <laughs> up there with a couple of Osmonds, right? I'm guessing. <laughs> but I've been it's up not there once. Guess. I got They're invited called the to... tree, tree streets up in that uh, area. Yeah, I've, I've, I've only been up there once. Uh, a friend invited me to his friend's place, and it was awesome. And the guy uh, was happy to have me because he's a listener, so he knew who I was. And it was sweet up there. But now I get your point. You're talking about money. You know, I think that you got two factions there. You've got one, the folks who are into BYU football, two words, pay them. <laughs> They've got zero problem. Wait, I'm sorry. That was, that was too complicated. What do they want? <laughs> it's real simple. They're football fans. They're BYU football fans. And at, at the core, the BYU football fan, man, woman, child, is no different then fill-in-the-blank fan wants to win. So, simple. Pay him. Pay him the going rate. If he's successful and deserves it, I think that the hardcore BYU football fan, BYU football fans, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the hardcore BYU football fan says pay him because they want to win. They have just as much enjoyment uh, as any other fan base when they win on Saturdays. And what's even sweeter is when on Friday when your season is great and then you have a pressure-free Saturday to watch football. And it's going to be even more so in two years when you get in the league because then it's more fun, right? 
your team wins on a Friday and it's a league game, then you get to kick back and watch everybody else go. And you don't have as much pressure unless it's late in the season and you need team A, B, or C to win because that will give you an advantage over whoever they're playing. But that's part of the fun of all that. And you'll, you'll get back to that after being gone for uh, 12, 13 years. And then, then you have the other people, the non-football people, who say, hey, wait a second. But you, interestingly, you have those people at every institution that they're just yep. outraged that football gets paid that much. But they, yep. they may be professors at a given university or what an administrator, but they don't have much say. So you can, basically they can yell and scream all they want. Who cares? It, it's about the board of trustees who are involved there. And that's where it gets a little dicey with BYU. Because you're getting people from a religious aspect as opposed to a sports academic aspect, which doesn't mean necessarily that those men, whoever, uh, I don't know who they are, whoever the board of trustees are, uh, they're church leaders, I assume, right? Uh, But some of those folks are hardcore sports people, too. Uh, they may be uh, highly accomplished in whatever business they came through and also were called to be religious leaders, but they're also sports fans. So you're going to have a, a mix of folks. I believe that BYU knows what it's getting into. Tom, Chad Lewis, Robbie Bosco, these folks, they're highly intelligent folks, and they know that raising money and all sorts of stuff is going to be important because the U had to do it too, right? They had to make yep. that jump. And in a lot of different ways, because, you don't. the last thing you want to do is go into the thing and just flounder. That serves no one any good. Right. That's a that's just a waste of everything. Right. So with that in mind, they know that they're not they're never going to lead the Big 12. That's not who it is. And you could say that Kalani's an, uh, an alum and he is and BYU's special experiences, but they weren't special enough to keep Bronco. Right, <laughs> they weren't spent all those, and and nobody preached church more than he does. Kalani does it too. He just does it in a more subtle way because he wasn't charged. He didn't take over a program that was in honor code shambles, and Bronco did, and he was charged to do that. You can criticize Bronco all you want, but he was told to do it. And I don't know about you, but when my employer tells me to do something, there's like a ninety-nine percent chance I'm going to do it. Because I want to keep my job. So Bronco was charged to do it, and he did it. He took all sorts of crap for it, but that's what he was told to do, and he did it, and he won too. But nevertheless, all those spiritual benefits or whatever other benefits they are in Provo, they weren't enough to keep him. Well, it's his alma mater, and it wasn't Bronco's alma mater. All right, Brian Harson, it was his alma mater at Boise State. And how much did that matter when Auburn threw the big cash at him? Now you can go G5 to Power 5. Yep. I got it. And BYU is going to be a Power 5 going forward. So maybe that does make a difference. I think it makes a difference to a degree. But if it's a 4 or $5 million difference over the life of a 4- to 5-year deal, how much difference does it make? I'm not sure. That, and I'm not, and I, we all know Kalani. I've known him for 20-some years. But I can't say I know his heart when he's faced with that decision. What will he do? Hopefully, if you're a BYU fan, you want him to be faced with, do I stay or do I go? Because in the old Chris Hill thing, if they want my coaches, that means my coaches are doing well. And so you want him. I believe that BYU is going to pay competitively in the Big 12. Not the top, but competitively. So 
It's funny you bring up Harson because um, now he was probably making more, but his replacement is making one point five million. Right, Auburn right his now first is time paying head coach. Right, and so uh, Harson was probably making more, but Harson's yeah. making five million at Auburn, and for all the BYU fans who think BYU is going to go in to the Big Twelve and in the down years be in the middle of the league, and in the up years be at the top of the league. Well, just look at the schools that are paying and are paying to change coaches and how much they're paying trying to get it right. Schools that have either just changed, are about to change, uh, these price tags. I mean, what is Herman at Arizona State? They made a change. It's his third year, right? This is Herm's fourth. It's his fourth year. He's yeah. at $3.9 million. Iowa State hasn't gotten it right in forever. Now they got Matt Campbell. He's got it right. They're good. And he's making $4 million bucks. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State is making four point two. Bronco left BYU for Virginia. He's making $4.2 million. <laughs> Minnesota hasn't been good in forever. Now they're having a pretty good run. P.J. Fleck is making $4.4 million. Auburn had to fix it, so they paid $5 million. Mississippi State hired Mike Leach away. They had to fix it. They paid $5 million. Nebraska had to fix it. They paid Scott Frost $5 million to go back to his alma mater, and now he's on the hot seat. So those are pretty common neighborhoods. Michigan State stole Mel Tucker away from Colorado. They're 6-0. and That seems to be going pretty well. They're paying him $5.5 million. It's going so, so well, Mel Tucker's going to go to LSU. That's how well it's going. <laughs> <laughs> On the move again, baby. Ed Orgeron is making $9 million at LSU. But they aren't winning, so they will buy him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pay so. somebody else, and here we go. So if you're constantly in the middle of your league in the downtimes and at the top of your league in your uptimes, somebody's coming with that kind of money. And the money's growing every year. Well, so, I think what you're going to have there is that if you're in it to make the maximum, you'll end up in the SEC. Yes. And I know people love to argue with you, but I'm looking at the list right now, and of the top eight coaches in pay, and they have the salaries for 123 of the 130 coaches. A couple service academies, a few private schools. But of the top eight paid coaches – Five are in the SEC. Dabo Sweeney is at Clemson. David Shaw's at Stanford, and Lincoln Riley's at Oklahoma. So you got one Pac-12, one ACC, one Big Twelve, yeah. Yeah, yeah. eight SEC, and no Big Ten. Ryan Day at Ohio State, number nine, is the top paid coach in the Big Ten at six point seven million. So you're already there. Five SEC teams paying top dollar. Right, and, and if they don't win, they fire top dollar. Yeah, so, no, no. Yeah. No, but this is going to drag the middle of it along, and it just means there's more suitors. There's more teams who are going to look at his number and think, we can afford a number much better than that, but will that be 20 teams, 40 teams, 60 teams? You know, just to decide how BYU decides to compensate coaches, especially the head football coach, as they go into the Big 12, and then what level of success do they have? Yeah, and there were other factors as why Bronco left. He was tired of being smothered. Kalani doesn't view it as being smothered. It's just different personalities, right? Bronco yep. was really good in a one-on-one situation. I got along with the guy great. Zero problems with Bronco Mendenhall. I actually loved covering, especially after Croton. I absolutely loved covering Bronco. He treated me well. 
Uh, he would give me time whenever I asked for it. And because he knew if I said, uh, hey, I need 10 minutes, it wasn't 35 minutes. He hated that. He'd, I talked to him on the phone. He'd call me, return my phone calls. Uh, just, just a great guy for me to cover. My personal relationship with Bronco, from my point of view, was outstanding. But he was smothered. He, he just didn't like all that stuff, right? And he just didn't like being badgered at Inter- church and interrupted at he, press conferences yeah, go out to dinner <laughs> with his wife and it's funny because his wife was so much different she was so outgoing and she told me on the phone once she's told him to loosen up a little bit but that's who he was so you got to be true to your car kalani hey the more the merrier man the guy just revels in front of crowds he's so comfortable so personable it's who he is he, he remembered i went golfing on the day of the byu utah game my wife and I, she didn't go to the game, but I did. We went golfing down at Hollow Creek, and I got hooked up with a guy and his daughter from St. George, who's a senior, and he starts telling me, he recognizes who I am. He told my wife about the sixth hole, man, his persona in, in life is really different than it is on the radio and television. <laughs> right? But anyway, yep. so, so he, he he's loosening up to me. He tells me a story about his daughter who, it, it, it was a difficult situation uh, family-wise that was somewhat akin to Kalani. And the gal uh, was going on a homecoming date or something, Kalani called the da- the gal's date to make sure he took good care of her, right? I, and this guy's telling me this stuff, and that's who he is. So he can revel in Utah County where the football coach literally is the most famous person, uh, maybe outside of Donny Osmond, right? <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and, I mean, Donny lives there, and he's around the community. You see him from time to time. I've seen him from time to time. And Donny's another guy, actually, who is very comfortable in his own skin that way, too, for that matter, right? Very, very personable, normal dude, despite the international success that he's had for 40 or 50 years, whatever it is. He can be an average guy. It's amazing, actually. Um, can't say enough about the way Donnie lives his life, too. Well, Kalani's that way. So maybe that keeps him there. But you got money in the end matters. And you can discount it all you want. But it matters. It just does. And that's why I think BYU is fully aware of that. They know. This is not a surprise to them. And they know that leverage counts, too. And they're going to probably have to increase it. I think they're going to do everything within their power to try to keep him if it comes to that maybe Kalani doesn't even entertain these offers who knows I I can't tell you what's going to happen even though I've known him for two decades I don't know when it when it hits the fan then we'll see but they've made inroads and then also too it's not just him now I have been told this multiple times by multiple people you've got to take care of the staff and that's one thing that Bronco was really excited about, that he was literally doubling guys' salaries to go to Virginia. Though That's a black and white fact because assistants told me right point blank, I make this here, I will make that there. And what do you expect me to do? Yeah. And I shook their hands and said, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. I'll be following you from a distance. 
<laughs> that and and this is the kind of thing like Tom Homo knows this. He doesn't need to be told. This is like not new information to him. He was in coaching. You want to get the best coaches, you have to pay them. They have even less security than head coaches. And you can win a national title and be on the hot seat and fired within a couple of years. Right? That's what's going on at LSU right now. But the assistant coaches don't make as much money. They're on even hotter seats. A lot of them are year-to-year. The lucky ones have two-year deals. Three years pretty much unheard of. So that's not even the second question you ask after you get hired. That's the kind of thing coaches are asking when they're getting interviewed. What's the pool for assistance? The head coach gets to divvy it up and decide how to split it up, but they want to know what the pool is. That's a really important question. And that's a reason Chad Lewis has got to be out there doubling back to the donors who say, call me when you're in the Power Five. Because when you're going to get in the Power Five, if you want the good assistance, you've got to be ready to compete because the competition for those guys is really intense. And oh, yeah. You've got to pay them because they have the no The better you are, no the better your staff is. It goes hand in Absolutely. hand. Absolutely. Because you need yep. a good staff to win, particularly in football. Uh, you need them to do two things. You need them to recruit well, and depending on how much authority they have on the staff, you need them to come up with really good game plans. So BYU's in a good spot. Uh, I'm not sweating it right now. Uh, I think that uh, they'll be okay. I think they'll rise to the occasion, not put them at number one or two, but I think they'll find ways. They know it. I think they're in it to win it. Uh, at this point. If they're in it to win it and they're paying in the middle of the Big 12, then I think they'll be, they'll be in good shape. But right now, the middle of the Big 12 is $4 bucks, and that number is going to go up. And that's kind of on the high end of what I thought BYU would be paying. But, you know, times change. You get new challenges and you know, try to figure stuff out. But some of that stuff's got to be figured out well above Tom Holmo. So we'll see that's where that the goes. Thing. That's where BYU gets more interesting than the average university because you've got more folks removed from the athletic department having a say and having the say, actually. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, there is not a lot of brash trash talk going into this weekend's games, and I think there's a pretty obvious reason why, and we will get to that and get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are broadcasting live from Marley's off I-15. 1600 North exit. Har- Harley-Davidson, the uh, Timonogos Harley-Davidson. And we are going to be joined right now by Daisy. And Daisy, you got some specials going this morning here at Marley's. Tell us about them. Alrighty, so the first 25 people to come in for breakfast and say The Zone gets $5 off of any entree. Nice. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What's your favorite entree here in the morning? Um, I like the burritos. Sausage is probably the best meat in my own opinion, but the burritos are really good. The burritos are excellent. Yeah. Are they more popular than the French toast? Uh, probably not. I'm not much of a sweet person, but the French toast is probably the most popular thing. Yeah. And you got pancakes going, too. Uh-huh. So you got something for everybody this morning. Yep, and you can add chocolate chips to your pancakes, spice it up a little. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's Perfect. a serious sweet oh, That's a little yeah. much. All right, and for uh, the folks who are going to come in at lunchtime and get, uh, get some of the sliders, uh, what's your go-to? What's your favorite? 
I like the fajita. That's that a my kid go-to. right there. That's uh-huh. a right thinking American right there. <laughs> right. Excellent. I usually get two. I do the fajita and then I do one other. And that one usually rotates around. Right, right. Switch you gotta, it up a little. Exactly. You got a second favorite? Uh, probably the handsome Rob. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Spicy buffalo sauce is super good on there. Now, what's the, there's a killer one, right? Uh-huh. That's what? the spicy breaded chicken. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Lex or Lexi, what is that one? That's a turkey. It's kind of like a Thanksgiving slider. Has like cranberry sauce, honeydew, turkey, lettuce. We're getting all there. All that good stuff, yeah. We're getting there. Oh, yeah. Nice. All right. Anything else people should know as they head down to Marley's here? Can they call in their order, hit the drive through window? Yeah. Be in and out and on their way? Yeah. drive is always open. We take calls in. Call, sorry, calls call in for takeout orders. That's all acceptable. But. You got the number off the top of your head or should they find it on their phone? Uh, I don't have it on the top of my head, but if you just Google search it, you'll find it on there our it website. There it is. All right, Marley's, stop by, say hi, Daisy is here, she's ready to take your order, and you've got 20, the next 25 people are getting $5 off? Yep, that's correct. All right, come on into Marley's, get yourself a deal. Uh, the breakfast sliders are three fifty, so let me do the math. You get two of them for 2 bucks then with the $5 off deal. Yep, you got nice. it. Nice, mm-hmm. there it is. It's a still. All right, thanks, Daisy. You bet. We're broadcasting live here at Marley's. We've got jazz gear, too. You can pick up a, uh, a T-shirt, got take-note shirts. Orange, yellow, navy blue, got some grays, got a couple of the white caps left as well if you're looking for the ball cap. DJ PK live at Marley's, 1600 North exit off I-15. Go west and you'll be there in a couple hundred yards. You can't miss Tippinogas Harley-Davidson and Marley's is on the west end of that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Here comes a 1-2 from Duvall. Finds one in the right center field for a base hit. Turner will score. Lux is on his way to third. Bellinger with the biggest hit of his career has just given the Dodgers a 2-1 lead. 0-2. Scherzer to Flores. Just outside. He went around. Strike three. Gabe Morales, the first base umpire. The Dodgers are going to the National League Championship Series. And the two-strike pitch. Here it is. And that's low. And a, a check swing. It is ruled a swing. By Gabe Morales, the first base umpire. And the Dodgers have won the game. On a check swing, the Dodgers looked like he checked it. It doesn't totally matter. Good. First base ump thought he went. I didn't think he went watching live. No, he, he did it. not check his swing, though, because in order to check your swing, you've got to attempt to swing. <laughs> he checked it pre-check. Yeah. It was pre-check. Right. That was a tough way for a great series to end. And I don't it know was. if the Giants are going to win it anyway, but no. that sucked. <laughs> I was waiting it did, for some it did, drama. It 
They and didn't you think when the Dodgers committed an error in the ninth that it's like, oh, baseball karma, something's going to happen. You can't commit a one-out error and put the tying run on base. Something's going to happen. What's it going to be? Well, it wasn't a little, little roller up the line through the legs. Uh, it, was a, it was somewhat of a tough play for Turner, and he, he bobbled it on the exchange. I wasn't sure. I didn't know – like, if you would have walked the first two guys – then baseball gods are saying, sorry, Dodgers, we're not letting you You're going to lose. This. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I wasn't quite to that point. And the count was 0-2, and it is Max Scherzer who has always been good. I mean, Hall of Fame good, but since he got with the Dodgers, he turned into Bob Gibson good. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened. I just You just hate to see it. I mean, you let the player decide. And the thing about it, a lot of those check swings are close. This wasn't even close. That's that was the mind blowing. He didn't even attempt to swing. It's like he just put his bat there. It was not a swing. It, it, it was just shocking. As Joe, what's his name, John Miller, I think the Giants announcer yeah. was just, yep. and even Steiner there, he wanted to say, "You got to be kidding me." <laughs> and the Dodgers knew full well what the story was. They knew that that wasn't a check swing. They'll take it. Uh, but they knew that he did not go all – he didn't even attempt it. That's what was amazing to me is that you call it on something where he just basically took the bat off his shoulder and you ring him up. Uh, and no one, even if it was a, a blatant check swing and you called it a ball, there's not as much outrage that way as if the way you did it with the series on the line – I mean, literally, not to say Flores would have hit a two-run homer and they would have won the game, but I don't know what happened. Baseball, stranger things have happened, man. You get 27 of them. There's no clock you're going against. You know, and I just referred to the little roller uh, with the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, the, the what was it, Mets and Red Sox. It was the Mets and, and Red Sox. It w- was in that series, I think they were down uh, down by two runs in one of the games. I remember mm-hmm. that very game with two outs and an 0-2 yep. count. And they came Got all the hook. way back. Yeah, so you never know. Well, Bellinger's the hero. I guess his ninth inning uh, game-winning single will get lost a little bit in the whole check swing thing, but that was a clutch at bat for him to snap that 1-1 tie. It really and the was. Giants lost, so it doesn't matter. But the guy who homered for the Giants was let go by the Dodgers and had to go play in Korea for three years to restart his career. That would yes, have been he awesome did. Yeah. Won. yeah, he did yeah. play uh, 35 years old, rough. He played in Korea. Yeah, and I rough. got to know a little bit about uh, Korean baseball because it was <laughs> the summer before last. That was the only thing that was on. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And a couple of nights on the weekends, I checked it out to see what it was about. And legitimately, yeah, there's actually, there's actually a story online. And he, he's quoted in it because um, he'd been in Philadelphia. And one, so someone in Philly caught up with him and did a story, right? The teams were probably playing each other. And they were just looking for something different. And so he, he has a line, yeah, I played in Korea for three years before. It was cool. <laughs> but he says, now, now I watch it because I got my friends over there and I'm checking in to see how people are doing. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. I was in Korea before it was cool. Right. Uh, it, got a, it got some run because they were it one of did. the first leagues to it come did. back. And ESPN broadcast some of their games. I, I didn't do it on the weeknights, but I did it on a couple of weekend nights because I didn't have to get up as early. Because with the time difference, I think it started like 11 o'clock our time here in the mountain time zone. Yeah. I wanted to check it out, see what it was about. I mean, it's real baseball. 
It seemed like most of the Americans were pitchers over there as opposed to hitters. All right, other stuff we've talked about. We spent a lot of time on college football in the show. We got polls up at Twitter. You can go uh, vote. David DJ James on Twitter. And it is overwhelming. We talked about it right off the top. We said we're just not going to talk that much about Utah State. The Aggies ought to win big. This is an 0-5 UNLV team. And they've played a couple close games, and they'll probably win something at some point. But it shouldn't be this week. The Aggies ought to get back on a roll here. 93% of the people, off about 250 votes, are saying the Aggies will win this game. 72.5% think they'll cover the 7 point spread and your point was Aggies win this and you're not ruling out 10 and 2 not probable but I can't rule it out because we've talked about this all season once they got to the halfway point the schedule potentially gets easier depending on how well they did in the first half and they did well enough in the first half the Boise loss uh, even though the score was not good you know, they moved the ball. They just couldn't finish it. So right now, on paper, which for what that's worth, it looks like they got more talent than virtually every one of their opponents left. The tougher games, which really means I don't know they're terrible. I mean, I'm absolutely thinking they're going to beat New Mexico and New Mexico no, State San on the Jose. road. That, that, that's San the Jose, toughest Wyoming. game is San Jose. And then what, how good are CSU and Wyoming? They're I, go, I go San Jose, Wyoming, CSU. I mean, yeah. Uh, as far as the Utes, 377 votes in. It's 53% for the Utes, 47% for the Sun Devils. Pretty close to a pick em there, which is the Vegas point spread. Even, pick em. And for BYU, sitting on 630 votes, 45% think the Cougars will win in an upset. They are six-point underdogs. So... We have not had a lot. We've had a little trash talk, and it's been entertaining, but we have not had a lot, and I think that's because deep down, I think both fan bases are really worried they're going to lose. Uh, I Sometimes you get I'd a lot of nervous. bravado. Are you going to go with nervous, not worried? Yeah. Downgrading no. it a little bit? No, because worried Man. means it's a big-time yeah. upset if you win, and I don't think it is. I think people uh, just heard the $5 off if you mentioned the zone at the register. Just mention I heard it on the zone. You get the $5 off because suddenly, PK, we are packed. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they just made that offer. Holy cow. Well, we've proven $5 that a million off. times over. <laughs> we are swarming with people. Anyway, I'm sorry. to distract. So you yeah. say nervous, not uh Yeah, because if worried. they win, either or both win, it's not like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming. But this is what competition is all about. This is the fun part. This is what I love. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you don't know if your team's going to win. But it's not like you're playing the greatest Alabama team either. This is the fun part. That makes it more satisfying. Come on, when you know you're going to win, that's sort of boring to an extent. At least it is for me, as opposed to, wow, this is a real intense game. I'm not sure we're going to win. That's the fun part, and it sucks if you lose. I get it. But if you do win, it's sweeter. Isn't it sweeter than if you beat Colorado or Arizona to beat the the Sun Devils? I think it is. And same thing for BYU, man. This is a pre-conference conference conference game. And just you make this is your first 
conference opponent since you were announced going into this conference. It's not a conference game, obviously, but it, it just people are. Everybody in the Big Twelve is going to be interested in this game because they know this program, this program which has a name out west. They're playing. And wow, man, we gotta we gotta step it up in a couple years. BYU's gonna be no slouch, so it has a little extra spice to it. And they're about to find what it's like to have five or ten thousand BYU fans show up in their stadium because that's about to happen. Well, I'm gonna go fifteen thousand because a lot of the women really? are gonna go to the Magnolia thing too. Yeah, so they're gonna take <laughs> advantage of that stuff. They want to travel on this trip. This is the road trip they circled. Well, I know like ten ladies <laughs> two for done one. this from Utah. And oh, I don't really? know if I yeah I don't know that's where I first found out about it that's why you didn't know about it because you didn't know anybody I knew about nope. it. otherwise I wouldn't have known about it but I knew some people that were doing it last spring yeah and now I know I, about it I, I had to have been educated about it or else I wouldn't have known about it because I don't pay attention to it but I found out about it my wife told me checked it out followed it a little bit I'm up to speed on it so yeah I think they're going to have more fans because they can entice their if they're it, a lot of a lot of females are into football so I don't want to underestimate I think that's always been one of the most overlooked aspect of our show for 20 years is the female sports fan because oh, they're man. there if I, yeah if I had a buck for every time I lost this argument with a news director because uh, I'm with you <laughs> and they're all against it and I'm like no go to the games yeah. There are, it's not a 50-50 split. It's not. There are, you're more likely to see a group of four guys, brothers, coworkers, you know, whatever, than you are to see a group of four women. It's not impossible to see a group of four, but so many people go as couples or a family event. That is so common. So the split is, it's not 50-50, but it's 60-40. It's like, you're completely underestimating where the interest lies. But man, I'm just just I'm just knocking my head into a brick wall on that argument. I'm not getting anywhere. And some may be diehards, some may be not, but they at least have a passing interest, particularly if it's specialized, whether it's the jazz or it's the uh, it's BYU football. And I just use those two as an example. And they're real. They may not be into college football the way you and I are, but they're into their. In this case, we'll just use BYU. They may not be into the NBA into completely, but they're into the jazz. Yeah, it's wildly yep. underestimated. And so I think BYU is going to have a great showing in Waco. There's just no question about it. I'm saying over 10,000. The blue will be there. And I think you'll be, yeah. you'll be able to see it on television when they score. I think where the stuff like the Magnolia, is it Magnolia Way? I always forget. What, what is it, Magnolia yeah, Park, yeah, Magnolia yeah, Lane, yeah. Magnolia Way, uh, whatever it is. Way, 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 it's, uh, where those things factor in is it's like when you're looking at all the good games, how do you turn it into a weekend? That's where that stuff's important. And that's why it's that in the USC game. Hey, you go down to L.A., there's tons of stuff to do, obviously, in Southern it's California. Anywhere. And it's do you anywhere. want to do it on a holiday weekend or not? You got more time, but maybe you got family stuff. So, but it's like you, you're looking. You're not going to Georgia Southern. You're not going to Washington State. And they got seven home games this year and an in-state road game with the Aggies. So they will travel, absolutely. All right, DJ and PK, they're flooding into Marley's now. As long as we're here till the top of the hour, stop by, place your order. Say you heard it on the zone, and they'll give you $5 off. Get your breakfast sliders. Uh, we'll tell you all about it coming up. DJ and PK. We're at Marley, 1600 North Exit off I-15. And it's just west of the freeway, a couple hundred yards. And Timonogos, Harley-Davidson. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.
And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. Who's winning this weekend? Dylan says if BYU gets a few of their injured players back, Mason Wake was missed on some of those inside blocks, and Jaron plays well, I think BYU wins by three to seven points. A-Rod did say, we ran it this morning, Mason Wake is expected back. Got hurt, been sidelined, but expected to be back in for this one. Sweet. Dominate inside. How about Utes, Bears, and the Aggies? That's from AK Ute Man. <laughs> the Utes. <laughs> Making sure they pick Baylor. Oh, sure, yeah. That's, that's why it's one of the greatest robberies in the country. Let's not run from it. Let's embrace it. Bart says, got a feeling it'll be Utah. Go Utes. Sure, if you're a Ute fan, why wouldn't you have that feeling? Absolutely. Kent says, BYU, ASU, and Utah State, go Cougars and Sun Devils. <laughs> well, I think this week, especially if you're a BYU fan, because you beat them, and so you'd want your rival to lose to them. That just proves your 2021 dominance even more. That team then is sixth ranked, probably in the top 15, and the only loss they have is to you? Eh, I get it. Ron says, Utah 27-20, and BYU over Baylor 31-21. That'd be a season high for uh, points allowed by Baylor, 31. 31 will be a winning number with the BYU defense, won't it? If they get to 31, they win? Uh, yeah, depending on special teams, you know, you can score or, or you get short fields. I mean, Boise had some short fields there, so you just on the surface, yeah, but, you know, how are those points? What did they come on? Those things matter. You can have a great defensive effort and still give up 30 points as a team. Special teams, turnovers, short fields, you never know. Yeah, right. Draper Utes says Utes by three, Baylor by 50, RSL 2-1 to one over Colorado. <laughs> by 50? 50. Draper Half a hundred, Utes. as the old ball coach used to say. I know where your alliances lie. At least I know. I'd rather know than not know. Yeah. Well, he put, he put uh, Draper Ute in his uh, Twitter handle. So sure, he's nothing wrong with that. You're a pretty fan. upfront about where his alliances yep, lie. Absolutely. All right. Any other words of wisdom before we go? Any shots you want to call? Uh, come on down to Marley's. You can get five bucks off. Fans flock in there, support our advertisers, and have a fun weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Tell them you heard it on The Zone. they got to go in here for a few more minutes. Marley's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. they got the French toast, the pancakes. they got the breakfast sliders. Ham, bacon, sausage, even got a pastrami breakfast slider. And then coming up at lunch, the handsome Rob, the Lexi, your favorites. And a reminder that uh, no matter what your favorite is, they have pasture-raised, grass-fed, high-quality local beef. It's fresh, never frozen, and air ranchers don't use hormones or antibiotics to speed up growth. Marley's 1600 North Exit off I-15. Head west 
couple hundred yards, you'll see the big Harley Davidson dealership, and they are on the west end of the dealership. Got the drive through window going as well. They'll get you in and get you out. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll see you back here Monday morning.